Warning. The Dark Thought Podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Fewer discretion is advised. Please be aware that this episode will contain spoilers for the entirety of Fate Stay Night and Limited Blade Works, and may contain spoilers for other series. Lastly, the views and opinions expressed by the participants of tonight's episode do not reflect those of Dump Talk as a whole. Alright, it's almost time to get things started. But first, we need to perform the proper incantation. Ahem. I am the dub of my sword. Sound is my body and vocals are my blood. I have created over a thousand voices. Unknown to subs nor known to weebs. Half of stood pain to record many dubbings. Yet these nerds will never praise anything. And so enjoy. Unlimited Dub Works. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a band of heroic spirits come together to discuss English dubs for anime. I'm Archer Jet, and tonight I'm joined by Ryder Megan. Hey guys, uh, so I'm under the greatest command seal of all, and I can't curse. Bullshit. Oh, it's called on. the command seal of Christian guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lancer Andrew? Just because you are correct does not mean you are correct, which means I am right and you're correct as well, but if we're both correct, then who's running this holy grail war? <laughs> <laughs> and Caster Roots. Phil, 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 seven times Phil. Also, the archer class is apparently made up of archers. Really? <laughs> 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 oh my god! Fun things are fun! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as you can see, Team Grimgar of Dub Talk is reunited once again uh, to talk about Megable historical figures, aka the Fate franchise. Yeehaw! Uh, it basically, <laughs> we are that teenager who takes a look at that history textbook and that book of myths and fables and think, man. I could stick a dick in that, and it's going to be a good night. And that's how Fate was born. <laughs> I yes, love the it, Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm, just ima- yeah no, I'm just imagining a horny, like, Kino Nasu with a textbook. Somebody <laughs> Kino Nasu with a textbook is... Uh, oh, George Washington, <laughs> you can chop down my cherry tree any day. <laughs> Rough Rider! Okay, so, uh, can, I, can I say something quickly? If you are a new viewer, I'm just going to say right now... We're sorry. We're sorry, but also, the way we are currently going to operate this is we are under the assumption that you have seen our previous Dub Talk episodes of Fate Apocrypha and our Dub Talk classic of Fate Zero, because we will be talking about things from both of those series, especially in regards to Fate Zero. Um, yep. And, uh, with that, we should probably, t- uh, mention what we are actually here to talk about. What are we uh, talking about? Uh, so this time around, we are covering the first of the Fate series, that is also simultaneously the second series of the Fate revival of the 2010s. 
the 2014 series Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works. Unlimited boner works, baby. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> I am the boner of my sword. <sighs> Knee highs are my blood. <laughs> uh, so for anyone who doesn't know what this series is about... The story follows a young man named Shiro Emiya, who, after being saved and adopted by a maze named Kiritsugu, vows to be like him and wants to someday become a hero of justice. He seemingly gets his wish when he is accidentally pulled into the middle of the Holy Grail War. A battle between seven mages paired with seven heroic warriors of legend, with the winner being granted any wish their heart desires. Shiro enters into the war alongside the heroic spirit Saber in order to prevent any evil mages from attaining the Grail. But will Shiro's path of justice really be something that could actually bring about happiness? If you asked him, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it depends on which version of him you ask, but we'll get yeah. to that. <laughs> There's right. a spoiler warning on this for a reason. Let's put it like this. In regards to what fates we're going to be talking about, we're of course talking about tonight's Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works. We will be covering Zero because... People like to argue whether Fate Zero or Fate UBW should be watched first. This is basically... The answer is zero! The answer is... Zero is so much better! Okay, look. Objectivity of side of whether Zero is better. This acts, the way it was animated and adapted, is a direct continuation of events that happened in Fate Zero. So we will, of course, be going full into yeah, spoilers I of Fate Zero. We'll make some references to Apocrypha... And because Megan has actually seen it, she will probably make some references to the cooking with the Emia family show because... Please come take care of yeah. me, Archer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like... Feed me delicious food. Anyways, <laughs> I just I just felt the need to bring that up because, no, we will hey, not... Hey, honey, am I allowed to dress you up as the fishmonger coup? I just wanted to bring this up because, no, we will not be going into Heaven's Feel spoilers because we don't know and we would rather avoid that to see it for ourselves. Yeah, also, I don't uh, have $150 to drop okay, on yeah, it. Yeah, basically, it's like that gigantic video says, like, technically, you would start with the 2006 version, but that one isn't very good. So, realistically, you would just start with Fate Zero and then jump to UBW. <laughs> I would put a spoiler warning for Dean06, but all you need to know is the sex is a G CG giraffe and it's bad. <laughs> Dragon, not giraffe. <laughs> Did I say giraffe? Not <laughs> yes! <laughs> you did. Oh. Man, I love this new version of Review Starlight. <laughs> Fuck. I understand. Just <laughs> I need to give you uh, a lot of transfer. I understand. Stand. <laughs> Let me get out my ginormous giraffe. I mean, in all okay, honesty, uh, like, fate. Let me unsheath uh, my giant giraffe schlong. In all, all right. honesty, Fate Zero will basically cover your needs for whatever you would know from Fate D Night, from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah, pretty all much. Alright, and if you can I just do a quick recap of Fate Zero for those who missed it and are watching this anyway? Sure. Alright, so some emo piss brand who almost died to vampires on an island because his dad's a fuck ass scientist decided to then trained with a crazy lady who made his ribs into bullets, and then he shot her out of a plane that was full of zombie bees. So then, he went into the woods in Germany, where they grow ladies in pools, married one of them, totally tapped that, filled up her holy grail, popped out a munchkin version of herself. So then, those two decided to summon Saber, and Saber's like, 
And and the, and the fuck guy's like, I don't do this fucking shit. I work in the shadows like a cool assassin. And Saber's like, you're not no fucking hero of justice. Fuck you, buddy. And travels around with his wife, who she probably was banging the entire time for mana transfers. Also, he's got a sidekick who my mom totally thought was NTRing Eliasville, aka the Lady Cronin Pools. So then there's also this midget guy who says, fuck the establishment, steals from his teacher, summons the world's greatest bro, rest in peace, writer, you a homie G. His teacher is an asshole who summons the most loyal servant ever who has a weird sexy magnet power so the dude's fiance is trying to bang and get a hold of his holy lance then they get fucking killed because he decides to enter into an agreement after she steals his command steals and she gets her hand shut off then he makes Diarmuid self-terminate and Diarmuid's like pox on your house dishonor on your cow also, there's this guy named Tokiomi, and he's a shitty dad, and his daughter's the he- basically the other lead character of this series, who sold his other daughter off, who got thrown into a worm basement that does awful wormy things, with an old guy who probably gets it up via worm Viagra. Alright, so then his other son comes back and goes, Dad, fuck you, why are you hurting these girls? I want to marry this girl because that guy wants to NTR Rin's dad, Tokiomi, and she's just like, I'm into my awesome mage husband. So then he gets a bunch of worms put in him and summons a really, really big berserker guy. Bunch of shit happens. Uh, Tokiomi gets stabbed in the back by the world's gayest gays ever. Uh, Kotamina's an asshole. Archer gets naked and a bunch of other crazy shit happens, but rest in peace, Ryder. I really should have told you to wrap that up sooner, but that was too fucking amazing that I couldn't, I couldn't stop you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is the tone for tonight's episode. Strap your fucking seatbelt on. This is going to be a wild ride. Jet, please, please. T- seatbelt, everyone! Uh, okay, yeah. Let, okay, Don't worry, okay, guys. We like... doused this bus in Tabasco sauce just so we can go up data for the <laughs> Okay, um, so, okay, so to actually be serious for like 10 seconds, uh, so uh, we're going to start things off as we usually do by going down a list of characters and discussing what we thought about their performances from their respective actors as well as what we thought of the dub's production staff. So first things first, we're going to be talking about the dub's voice director and the adaptive scriptwriters. Um, so for our ADR director, it's Mr. Fate himself, Tony Oliver, who has directed the dubs for pretty much every mainline Fate series from the 2010s, as well as such shows as Hunter x Hunter, uh, or Hunter. Did Hunter, you say Hunter, Hunter x Hunter? Or, He's not the real jet! Or Hunter Hunter for you You fucking fake-ass fan. I bet you looked at it and- It's a scroll! It's not the real jet, it's a scroll. Go get Ant-Man to go up his ass. We're going to be talking about asses a lot tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Hell yeah, we are. So, Hunter, Hunter, Charlotte, and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in Diamond is Unbreakable. At least th- two of those were animes. Yep. As for our script writers, we have, we once again have Tony Oliver pulling double duty, as well as Joe McDonald and Michael McConaughey. And Tony Oliver has not adapted script for such shows as Eureka 7, K-On, and Nora Rise of the Yokai Clan. Joe McDonald's had, has handled scripts for such shows as Claymore, Hero Mask, and Sirius Yeager, while Michael McConaughey has handled scripts for such shows as Al Noah Zero, 
Grand Blue Fantasy, the animation, and Scryad. Before we continue, before we continue, are we doing a discussion order? I just realized we haven't done one yet. Uh, yeah, I guess I will just go in the order I introduced you all, so Megan, you can go first. Oh, joy. <laughs> so, like Jet said, uh, I am, of course, the person who gets to be- that makes this a classics episode because I've never seen it. However, I have the weird distinction of being somebody dumb enough to have never watched this part of Fate and watch Cooking with the Emia family, which led to a lot of embarrassing things. Like, at one point, realizing it was a bad idea to say, I ship Ren and Sakura. <laughs> I forgot about that! <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That was very quickly quashed, everybody. Don't worry. I don't need that much, Jesus. This is not Fate Grand South. Fate Grand Alabama, where the Holy Grail is just a gate. It's just a can of paps. Um. <laughs> Are you okay over there? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, I actually do have a frame of reference for what a lot of the seiyu sound like, and I will actually say there are a couple of people who are almost spot on for their Japanese. Um, specifically, and I'll get to who I think they are when we get to them. Um, I will say that this is a dub, while I think that the cast is more polished, I don't know if I like it more than I like the dub for Zero, because I think I... It's a weird thing that sometimes you'll see with shows, and people will say that they don't do it, but they're liars. And yes, show quality does affect how much you enjoy a dub of something sometimes. Um, I did not like this as much as I liked UBW. I think UBW is fun. This is UBW. This is UBW, wow. yes. <laughs> I think that Zero is the better show. I think I like a lot of Zero's ensemble cast a little bit more. However, I will say that this ensemble cast is really, really good. And if I'm right, this dub came out in what, 2015, 2016? Yeah, somewhere uh, like, yeah, like 2015, yeah, yeah, 2016. Yeah. I think that this dub has a lot of actors who are really prominent now that I really enjoy a lot of their work now. Uh, before, I think they they were kind of more household names, if you know what I'm saying, except for Shiro. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has an actress that I have only heard in one other show, and I absolutely hated her in it. Like, straight up, I think it was one of the worst anime performances I ever saw in that other show, and I thought she was... She took a little bit to grow on me, um, but I, I do think I came around to her in the end, and I couldn't see anybody else playing this character in English besides that person. Um, in terms of the writing, I don't have... I didn't get a frame of mind to go see how the transition the translation went, it does seem a lot less prosy than Zero, but then again, this is the difference from adapting something written by Gen Urobuchi to something not written by Gen Urobuchi. Buchi. Buchi. Pirate. Puppet Man. I'm just gonna call him the Puppet Man. Um, it's, it is a big difference. You can tell that the series was not written by him. It's a lot less... While it is a lot less Shakespearean, it is a lot more heavy-handed on dumb-ass white boy philosophy. Um, even though it was written by Japanese people. Um, I think that this is a, a really good dub. I think that this is really enjoyable for people who only watch the dub. It's not going to grate on anybody's ears. It's not going to sound clunky via any adaptive writing, but more just the show because it's fate and fate thinks that making sense is like making people play like 
I don't know, like, fate thinks making sense is like putting onions in mac and cheese. Mm. I did that once. Not again. Honey, no, don't ever do that again, or I'm going to literally send you to worst cooks in America. I'm kidding, I love you. <laughs> uh, who's up next? You are. You. Oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> I, forgot. I forgot the order of this. Um, I will say straight up, uh, this is a very solid dub all around. I remember, I will say, I think Zero is a much more interesting show, though I would argue that some of the performances in this are probably... I would say some of them are more natural in the grounds that, like, Zero is a much more serious show, and you get a lot of things in Zero that you don't always get in UBW, because in Zero, you get a lot of, like, exposition-heavy stuff, but you also get a lot of, like, tragic, like, very angry, painful noises and reactions, which you get plenty of in UBW too, but UBW is also for full of more downtime and a little more slice of life because this is more of a, like, this is the original thing from, like, I want to say 2004, 2005, where it's about a high school kid and him living a high school life, but it's also a magic life as well. So you get to see him go to school. You get to see him live with his big sister and his sort of not sister who... Let's put it like this. Uh, Shiro Emi as a goddamn harem protagonist compared to Karitsu. Yes. Yes. It's almost as though it is something based off of a visual novel. It is, novel. in fact, based off of a visual <laughs> novel. And it very much, you can kind of tell the difference between Fate Zero and Fate UBW, which is interesting. This is like one of my Japanese anime. Very much so. But I will say, there's a lot of strong performances here, especially from a couple of actors I don't usually hear in as many things as I used to. There's one or two prominent players that, like, I really have not heard in anime since, like, the four kids days, which has been really interesting to see them get a chance to shine. And there's a couple of vet people who are still new at the time really getting to sprout their wings and fly, fly away. The script is very natural, and it does it does a lot with a lot of exposition, but the character dialogue and interactions with a lot of people is a lot of fun. It's very anime, it's sometimes exposition heavy, but there's a couple of lines in there that managed to get me to crack my ass up and just certain deliveries. It's wow, the archer class are made, is certainly made up of archers. Okay, look, that's that's a problem <laughs> in both languages. That's... You're, Come on, no, that's why you're. It's still fucking funny. It's still <laughs> fake repetition. Wants to think it, that was intentionally left in. Repetition is indeed repetitive. So says Andrew, yeah. classy Spartan. But no, I think this dub is pretty damn solid. The script adaptation is pretty consistent and a ton of fun. And I had a good time going through this dub again. I totally realize now in my UBW, my in my Zero recap, I totally left out the part about the guy killing all the children and making them into furniture. There's a lot to talk about in Zero. There's only so much time we got. Yeah. Okay, uh, Roots? Alright, so in terms of scripts, I'm gonna say this is... It feels a lot more localized than Fate Zero, if that makes sense. It's definitely a lot snappier, a lot quippier... Which, honestly, given the fact that this is kind of slightly lighter in tone than Fate Zero, it, it makes sense. Only slightly. Like, for the most part, casting was pretty good. There's, like, one, maybe two 
actors I kind of have, like, minor nitpicks about, but other than that, like, across the board, it was actually really surprising to see a couple of the people from the original Fate Stay Night come back around and actually do, like, really good jobs with the characters again, and then a couple of people ended up getting replaced, and, like... It's, it's a whole new ballgame, and it's really interesting. It's actually a really fascinating dub. Yeah. Good job all around. Yep. So, like the other fate shows we've tackled, this series is centered around an ensemble cast, and uh, Tony Oliver had to handle the difficult task of making each character in this ensemble sound distinct, enough to have a pretty strong presence while, you know, so giving them enough room for enough out for the actors to bounce off of each other. Uh, Tony Oliver tackled that challenge pretty well, and the cast sounded very dynamic, while his direction also managed to give a pretty consistent flow to everything. Uh, this one was pretty well casted for the most part, and while some performances in his ensemble sound a little better than others, all around it's very solid. I mean, if I had to rate this against Fate of, say, Fate Apocrypha, I'd probably say Tony Oliver's direction was a little stronger on that one. And probably the you know, same thing with Fate Zero, but uh, those two shows arguably had better material to work with, so I, and I can't really think of too much here I would like actively knock. Um, far as the script goes, uh, the writers had the equally challenging task of combing through Fate's A Night's prose, and while Natsu's prose isn't quite as Shakespearean as Urobuchi's, it's still definitely a hassle to translate, so I'm glad they were able to adapt it to English pretty well. And weirdly, despite the fact that this one is based off of the original visual novel, I see that the script here actually is a little bit more liberal than what Fate Zero or Fate Apocrypha had mostly done, but, uh... I mean, mostly that this one has, like, a little bit of slang thrown in every now and then, and it's definitely a lot less wordy. And, uh, while I'm not too certain how hardcore-type mood fans would feel about that, I thought the approach worked out pretty well, and, uh, while some of the more iconic bits of Natsu's prose aren't given, you know, like a... Direct one-to-one -one translation, no, you're not getting, just because you're correct does not mean you're right. Yep. Also, <laughs> now's probably a good time to bring this up. There is no official English translation of the Fate Stay Night visual novel. This series is now a multimedia billionaire, billion-dollar franchise... Just off the mobile game Just alone. Just off of Fate Grand Order alone. And the original piece of media that inspired this entire fucking multimedia, like, millionaire is not officially in English. It is, let's put it like this. Fate Say a Night is to visual novels what Neon Genesis Evangelion used to be and kind of still is for anime licensing. Oh, well, you... Oh, yeah, that is exactly what I was, yeah, I was going wow. to go with. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, we had a mind meld. We had a mind meld. That worked very well. Want a mana transfer? Yeah, so, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah so I heard that. I yeah, fucking heard that. I know, I know you did. <laughs> yep, so, yeah, so basically it is too dang expensive for anyone to actively license. So, we're stuck. <laughs> so, nobody can say this is not inaccurate because nobody really knows what the fuck's accurate. Okay, yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, back on track. All in all, I'd say things are pretty good for this show on the ADR front. And uh, while I don't like it quite as much as I did Fate Zero's dub, I still think it was very well done. And with that, I guess we're good to move on to actual characters. 
Fuck uh, you, I heard that. <laughs> uh, so first up, we had some of Shiro's close acquaintances. Sakura Mato, Taga Fujimura, and Issei Ryudo. Uh, Sakura is Shiro's junior from his high school who comes around to help him with some of his chores. Uh, while Taga is a teacher at his school and the daughter of his landlord, which is why she pretty much comes around his house every single day. And lastly, Issei is the student council president at Shiro's high school and one of his few close friends. Who wants to be his boyfriend? Real talk! <laughs> all three of these characters are pretty dang hot. Ever, like, take your pick in regards to what you're into. Are you into the big sister and or teacher thing? Taiga's got you going. Are you into moe as hell? Probably very tragic past because let's just face it. I've not seen Heaven's Feel. I've seen Fate Zero. I know there's some things going on with Sakura and you know she's the third round. So she's got some stuff, but she's cute and adorable and she's pretty dang hot. And Issei... He's got muscles for days. We've seen it. We have seen him stripped in front of us. <laughs> but remember, Shiro's only seen one of them naked, and it was Issei. What does that say? <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so somebody playing... wants a mana transfer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, playing Sakura, we have Christina V. For Taiga, we have Julianne Taylor. And for Issei, we have Robbie Damon. Uh, Christina V, you will know for such roles as Kilo Zoldik from Hunter x Hunter, Darkness from Kurosuba, and Homura from Quella Magi Madoka Magica. Uh, she is also reprising her role as Sakura from Fate Zero. Cool. Julianne Taylor has played such characters as Jackie Tristan in Bleach, Naokashiwaki from Your Lie in April, and Yukari from Paradise Kiss. As for Robbie Damon, you may have heard him as Ikoma in Kabaneri and Beyond Fortress, Spooky Brown in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, and Mamoru Tiba, aka Tuxedo Mask, in a V's redub of Sailor Moon. I'm surprised you missed the one important thing about this group of characters. Uh, that being... Julianne Taylor is reprising her role from Fate Stay Night Dean Edition. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I thought I had that in my notes, but I apparently I didn't. I made so, sure to yeah. bring it up anyways, because here's the thing. This, there's, most of this cast is relatively new people, but there are a couple of characters who are reprising their roles from Fate Stay Night 2006. Yeah. Andrew is really brown-nosing for that mana transfer. <laughs> oh, baby, you know it. Okay, I'm and... telling your girlfriend. <laughs> she can join, too, uh... if she wants. Oh, oh my. some mana transfer. Look, party. look, I've I've uh, seen some uh, images. It, t it takes you don't need to to transfer. Uh, 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 okay, uh, okay, okay, roots. If you want the bubble, Andrew, I will happily email you a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> Hold him down! I'll get his kneecaps. Anyways, I, I'm I'm done busting your balls. Uh, okay, I'm done. Okay, Megan. Now I'm just imagining taking the Gale Bulk to Andrew's tiny dick. Why? <laughs> Don't worry, it only goes to the heart, and we all know that yours is in your chest, not your dick. Mm. Look, I didn't insult you for once. Um, so I'll be really quick about Christina V. She is a cute in Moe, and uh, reminds me a little bit of her Sayu, but here's the thing. Sakura, like, once you realize that 
she's not the romance option for this route. They get rid of her pretty fucking quick. It's like it's um, like by epi- I want to say like episode ten or so eleven, where it's very no. She's gone by like seven. I no, think. I think she at least shows up at least once or twice. Basically, pretty much as soon as uh, as soon as Shinji attacks the school, she is basically out colded for the entire rest of the show. Yeah, she's basically. Yeah, I don't gone. even think she shows um, up in the epilogue either. She does. She does. We'll get to that in a second. She's there. She's there. Force feeding Shinji Mato is just desserts. Oh, that's right. Um, yes, I yes, I would like. I would like to think she was actually poisoned again, but <laughs> I am. We all I am. On, I am operating under the head canon that basically Zokin croaked, and she is blackmailing Shinji, and her happy ending is she gets a million dollar mansion, and she gets uh, pretty much all sorts of like orgies out of time at a party that are not bug related <laughs> she also gets to put shinji into humiliating outfits Indeed. um and if she ends up getting any enemies we're pit mm. <laughs> hey you ever seen hoard have you ever seen when you move a box in an episode of hoarders i can interact that in my basement um <laughs> i'd also like to point out that one of the other like really early moments in the show is when gil tries to like go talk to her like out in front of her house and my immediate reaction was why does gil like look like he picks up women at the abortion clinic you told me that i got so mad because he really really does Um, we should talk about these characters and their performances shouldn't we uh, so I think I think she was great. Uh, obviously, like spoiler, spoiler, spoiler of a thing I can't talk about. That's how I feel about Christina V's performance. Uh, moving on to Robbie Damon as Issei. He was it. Funny enough that you mentioned Ecoma because because Issei kind of looks like uh his it looks like um his character from Cabinari a little bit. Um, but I think Robbie Damon does this really good job of being like this slightly bewildered normal guy because there's the whole thing where they think he's caster's master but he's not and then he gets forced to strip and he's very soon dare to rin about shiro um <laughs> and i think robbie i don't think i've ever heard robbie damon play like an outright soon character before which is really weird that shiro is in a bisexual soon sandwich if you think about it um but for me, the real the real star of this is Julianne Ta- uh, Taylor as Taiga, who sounds really similar to her Seiyu. Like, they are very close in vocal range to me. And I loved every second that Taiga was on screen because she is such a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> like, she just keeps inviting herself into the house. She keeps yelling at Shiro for bringing girls home. Like, she keeps acting like his, she's his mom and Julianne Taylor. And, like, I think one of the other, like, really defining moments for Tyga in the whole show is when a student calls her, like, by her name in the classroom and she gives them all a quiz. And she's just pissed. <laughs> and it's great. And I uh, love her. And I love Julianne Taylor as her. And I don't hear Julianne Taylor in enough things. And she's, like, kind of the fucking best mm. as, uh, as Tyga. And I really hope they dub the cooking show because Tyga just shows up there a lot. Awesome. Like, awesome. my favorite part is when uh, Lancer comes over in episode two and brings him a bunch of beers that she and him just get, like, absolutely shit-faced together. That, because they're buddies in that show. That sounds like the uh, best combo sounds, in the world. That sounds amazing. All right, uh, I'm done. Okay, uh, starting off with uh, Christina V. 
I'm also realizing I said things with the context of not knowing things about Heaven's Feel, so I possibly said things I will probably regret once I actually watch Heaven's Feel, which I actually own the first movie on my shelf, and I got that side by several voice actors, so I hope to see that in the future. Uh, Christina V, she is really cute as Sakura. Like, she does a good job. She has this whole thing where you can tell she means well. She's really looking out for Shiro where you think, oh, he seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think it's mostly just A. She, Spoiler alert, he doesn't. He doesn't have a good head on his shoulder. but <laughs> He's a fucked up little... Like, he's a fucked up little At first sperm. you realize, okay, no, you think he's just got things fine and he can handle himself. It turns out, actually, A, she really cares about him and she wants him to be well and to be safe and to be happy which i don't blame her because he's really kind of fucking stupid and he, he was willing to throw himself in danger all the fucking time no wonder you keep getting himself over he would probably he would probably hurt himself in the in the microwave if he wasn't careful but yeah, no, okay, I don't think he's Shiro Emiya would Shiro Emiya would drown in a bowl of his own soup if it meant to save the lives of five <laughs> flies he would drown for yeah. that. He would drown yeah, I mean, for I mean, flies if it meant that they could be saved and he would drown in a soup. That's Yeah, okay. Basically he's fine if you don't put another person in front of him. Basically. <laughs> Anyways, Christina V Okay, like she care I wanna like I wanna make a joke, but I feel like only Jet would get the joke. Jet, you've seen yeah. have you seen the adolescence of Utana? Uh it has been a while, but yes. You know the elevator scene? Uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> okay, Shiro would totally go back to him in the elevator seat if it meant saving everybody else. Oh, God. And you uh, know I'm right. You're not wrong. I have no context to this, so I'm just gonna nod and smile. Oh, we're, you're gonna learn context in Anime Boston. Anyways, fucking, uh, Christina V is just, she's very sweet and well-meaning, and you can tell she doesn't want to be a problem, and I feel really, I really do wish her warmth and happiness, and she's doing her best, and... I do, like, she also is probably really good at archery, because she's got, because there's a thing about, there's an archery club, and Shiro used to be in that. And, but yeah, no, we don't get to see her that much past the first arc, but I really, she made a strong impression on me, and I thought she was fucking adorable, and I really like her voice. Uh, Robbie Damon, I'm not sure if, the, I don't think this was one of his first roles, but it was probably an earlier Robbie Damon role, where he's this very studious, authoritative, uh, student council president Jacked. he's pretty chill his family runs a temple he lets his teacher stay there which i'm pretty sure that's how a lot of dojin start is letting your teacher stay in your house um look there's probably something there just saying uh, I, I, I mean i mean i mean that dude doesn't seem that dude doesn't seem like he'd be into that oh i trust me <laughs> you 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 look he's probably he's probably where there's a will there's a dojin Don't. There's a what? <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a paddle. Oh no! Any oh no! Anyways, um, so Robbie Damon just sounds very studious, kind. He's a very good friend to Shiro, but he also has a lot of good chemistry and comedic timing sometimes off of Shiro's actor and off of Rin. Because, like, just that whole scene where he's getting forcefully stripped because Shiro's thing of, I'm not just gonna, I'm not gonna just go up to him and ask if he's a master. His master plan is just, I'm gonna strip you off and see if you have any, any command seals. Oh, you're clean. When there's a will, there's a dead And then he's like, I've been defiled. It's like, oh, Christ. <laughs> and then at the very end, when the, the fucking voices that Robbie is making, when he realizes, oh, God. 
Are you two fucking? What the hell did I miss? What happened? When did this happen? Why? And just the fucking voices he's making. He doesn't get too much to do, but he's a fun, enjoyable side character. And speaking of fun, enjoyable side characters, holy shit, Taika is the fucking best. She's so funny. She's so full of life and charm and energy. And she's just cracks me up anytime she's with Shiro, anytime she's with Rin, anytime she's with uh, Sakura, especially when she's with Saber. Heard Sakura with Saber is like, oh god, who's this foreign chick? Oh god, she's a friend of Kiritsuku's. Oh boy, this is happening. And she's just got all these great faces. That fucking face she makes when she gives a pop quiz is hysterical. But... There's also this really bittersweet, sad moment when you realize she has a hot date that she leaves the house for. Oh, God! And the hot date <laughs> is visiting Kiritsugu's grave. Why do you gotta make me sad? And that's a very, oh, there's a lot going Fuck. on here. And you can tell, like, Kiritsugu Emiya is a very different person to the lives of the people he influenced post- Fuyuki City Fire. Because he changed... Because he wanted to leave that life behind. And you can tell he was a very... To them, he was a very sweet and caring person. Somebody she valued a lot. Somebody who promised to show her the world. Who she might even have had a slightest bit of a crush on. And it's bittersweet. And it really added like a layer to a character I appreciated. And I really thought Julianne Taylor added a lot of energy and intrigue and dynamism to a character. I was not sure what to expect, but she is a welcome breath of fresh air in all the exposition drama, and she's a ton of fun. Why are you going to make me cry about the date thing, man? Mm. Um, so, so while these two are recovering, Roots? Yeah, so, um, Christina Villa's Sakura, I'm basically going to mirror what uh what megan and andrew have said that she she gives a really moe and cute performance that kind of belies what you're going to experience when you pop in the first disc of Evansfield. because i've heard mm. some things and that's gonna be a bit of a ride don't Tell me nothing. Like, God, I'm just gonna fucking watch this movie after we're done recording, just so I can know. I, I... It's the second movie, that's where all the gross shit happens. Duly noted. Anyways, continue. Anyway, like, there's really not much else to say, because, like, she disappears about a quarter of the way into the show. Once the show commits to a rout by, like, episode 10 or so. Yeah. Which, by the way, should be noted... Regular Fate Stay Night is Shiro's path. Unlimited Blade Works is Rin's path. Heaven's Feel is Sakura's. So is it Shiro's? Uh, it's it's Sabers. No, it's, 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 oh, it's Sabers. Okay. Yes. I mean, Shiro can't fuck himself. Wait, never mind. I will retract that statement immediately. I realized well, what I said as soon as I said it. Shut up. <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a dojin. You don't even need a dojin. Where there's a will, there's an unlimited blade works. Works. Unlimited boner works. I am the bone of my like, sword. Okay. Okay. Moving on to Issei. Moving on to Issei. Keeping this train a moving. Thank you. Um. 
I feel like I need a shirt now that says where there's a will, there's a doujin. <laughs> Issei. 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 Refocusing my thoughts here. Um, I, I really like that he was just kind of the bro-tier best friend of Shiro. Like, unfortunately, that was, like, the one note of his character. And, uh, the, the strip scene was really funny. The, the stuff in the epilogue was funny. It was basically his job to be funny. And he, and Robbie Damon did a really good job. And Julianne Taylor as Taiga. She gave a lot of real energy to the role. She had a lot of pep, a lot of zip. She had a lot of great lines to her. And she could also flip on a dime and be kind of sullen at times. And it was... It, it was just a really good performance. I, I really liked it. And, like... Solid thumbs up across the board for these three. Okay. Um, so I'll actually start with Robbie David since I kind of found it to be probably the least prominent of these three. Um, so, like, I recall back then I was actually a little surprised to see him here since um, back when this dub was recorded, his only other major anime credit was still Tuxedo Mask, and this was like one of the first times he ever popped up with a big Zoom thing. Uh, but I'm pretty glad he did, because he did a really great job of making Issei sound, you know, very prim and proper without sounding, like, too snooty. And it was also, you know, like, very funny whenever Issei gets, like, really exasperated over something. Especially that whole bit where Shiro strip searches him for a command sale. And Arami's delivery with there was, it was really funny, and it just really added to the moment. It was definitely one of the best moments of the show for me. Uh, I also really like how well he plays off of his interactions with Rin's actors in their, like, little moments. And you can get a pretty immediate idea of why those two characters don't really like each other. Though I guess more so Issei than Rin, since Rin just kind of seems to, like, struck him off a lot. And uh, also, while we aren't talking about that character, I did dig Robbie's performance as Caster's ex-master, and, you know, how he made that guy sound really haughty. Oh yeah, I was wondering if we were going to bring that up. Yeah, and it was really funny watching that guy get his weapons. That was really entertaining. Hey, I'm rich. <laughs> I have a harem. Also, I use child corpses to make crystals. Uh, they weren't dead. And, uh, and I love how, Ca well, how Caster's response is even you're using child corpses. It's like, you're not even using them efficiently. <laughs> they weren't corpses. It's like, how dare you? It's like, how dare you be wasteful? You're a fourth-rate mage. Caster basically said you're a fourth-rate mage with a fifth-rate mold. Ah, fuck, I blew that. No, wait, three, two, one. You're a fourth-rate mage with a fifth-rate wand. Pretty much. Also, B, guys, I don't think those were corpses. Oh, no, they were, uh, like, very much alive. Oh, fuck. Yeah, th yeah. They, those... Look, they weren't, they weren't, look here, Caster prefers organic free-range children. That's why she gets her ingredients from the Gracefield house. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's oh, no. stop that thought while we're ahead. Jet, please continue. Come okay. on, that was funny. It's funny. Yeah, I'm just, it, it was, but. I'm not I'm going to acknowledge guys. it because I'm... that's more what you want. Fuck you, yeah. I'm hilarious. Okay, uh, so moving on to Sakura, uh, Despite her overall prominence in Fate's lore, she doesn't really have too much to do in this route, aside from, you know, being Shiro's maid, I guess. Uh, but, but Christina works pretty well at what she has, and so does a great job of making Rin sound, you know, very cute and polite without getting, you know, super Sakura, you said Rin. 
Yeah, but that's getting too saturated. And while we don't, you know, see too much of the two of them interact for how important their connection is supposed to be, you can kind of tell she's like a little jealous of Rin when Rin suddenly barges into the Shira's house, and I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, wish she had a little bit more, wish I had a little more to say on this one, since I really, you know, I really enjoyed her in Fate Zero. Especially when she was watching what happened to poor old Uncle Karia, may he rest in peace. Uh... <laughs> Karia Mato did a lot of things wrong, but it's okay, I'd still bang him. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but for what we got here, I thought this was pretty fine. Uh, the standout here, though, was definitely Julianne Taylor as Taiga, because you could really tell she was having a lot of fun here. Uh, Taiga may technically be an adult, but she's very fun-loving and extremely immature for how much responsibility she's technically supposed to have as a teacher. I can relate. And uh, you can really feel that in Joy's performance, as she gives Taiga a very consistently playful attitude, and gives the impression that she hardly takes anything seriously. And, and I particularly love the way he bounces off of Shiro's actor, because you can always, it feels like Shiro is constantly trying to be the adult in the room, but he always fails because Taiga's just frankly too much for him. And, uh, she's, and well, and unfortunately, she's not quite as good at dealing with Rin. And uh, Julie's delivery when Rin basically tricks her into letting her stay in Shiro's house was really funny. And you could really tell how much she was scrambling to sound in that situation. Because she's used to dealing with a, with an idiot or a girl who's too shy. She's not used to somebody who can play, like, mental chess with her. She's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Fuck, you're also smart. <laughs> yes. Basically. Uh, of course, while Tag is mostly a bundle of energy, you do get to see her serious side in a couple of instances. And I definitely did enjoy her in that scene where she was at Kiritsugu's grave, you know, kind of lamenting that she never really got to know him as well as she wanted. And, uh, like Andrew was saying, it did make me wonder if she maybe had, like, a little thing for him. Uh, regardless, I really like Julius Taika, and all three of these performances get a thumbs up for me. Mm-hmm. If she really wanted to get to know, uh, Kiritsugu a little bit more, I mean, his bang shed is still back there. Oh, God. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> And, uh, there must that... be at least one route in the Fate visual novel that has somebody fucking that shed. Oh, boy. I'd be shocked if there wasn't. Please tell me if I'm wrong or right in the comments. <laughs> also, yeah. tell him if the giraffe's in there. Next up, we're getting to our first Master Servant pair of the evening. With Iliasville von Einsburg and her servant Berserker, who you might otherwise know as Hercules. Hercules! Uh, Hercules! Ilya is a descendant of the Einsburg family and a homunculus who was created for the sole purpose of winning the grail for her clan. And as for Berserker, like the last couple of times we did Fate on this podcast, we're going to actually be running down the actual myths for each heroic spirit. And I will start us off with the Legend of Hercules. That's right, motherfucker! Y'all here with us? You're learning! I mean, minus two, because Saber, we've already done, and... Yeah, and uh, Archer I mean, is uh, Archer. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, uh, well, I, I mean, I will I will talk about oh, okay. Saber again. I do still have those notes. Oh, cool. cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Jet, are you going to at least yeah. do it in the style of gospel song? I don't think we have uh, the time uh, or the copyright power I, to fight I, that. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Uh, we don't have the time for that. Damn it. <laughs> uh, pl- uh, plus, I'm not really that good of a singer, so. Okay, so anyway, uh, Hercules was born between the union of a mortal woman named Alchemine and the god Zeus. When Zeus disguised himself as her husband and slept with her the same night as her husband did, uh, Alchemine gave birth to Hercules as well as his twin, Aphiles. 
And when Zeus's wife Hera found out about his infidelity, she again. Put- <laughs> yes, again. Well, spoiler alert she on said- this one: Greek gods kind of get around. It's especially Zeus. <laughs> um, so when Zeus's wife Hera found out about his infidelity, she sent a pair of snakes to discover which one belonged to Zeus, and Heracles strangled both of them, proving his power. Uh, Heracles started adventuring around his 18th birthday when he killed the line of Sepharon, who was attacking the land of Thespi. And the king of Thespi was so impressed with his power, he wanted his daughter to have a child by him. So the king sent all 50 of them to sleep with him, while Heracles thought he was only sleeping with one of them. What the fuck? 50? <laughs> 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 Hercules is the OG... <laughs> Her- Hercules is the OG harem protag. I would love to see the quintessential. What's what do you call fifty daughters that are all the same? I'm not even going to. Ca- okay, hang on. Uh, good God, that mom's. Good God, that lady's vagina must be a minivan. And so, getting back on track. Uh, later, after defending the kingdom of Thebes. The king of that land allowed him to wed his eldest daughter Megara, and they had several children. But Hera, who was still jealous over Zeus, cursed Hercules with madness and caused him to kill his entire family. And to atone for this sin, he was instructed to serve the king of Tyrannus for the next 12 years, carrying out carrying out nearly impossible tasks, which eventually became known as the Twelve Labors. Wow, that's a Hercules bit dark for ev- Disney. <laughs> what you don't remember the extended Disney cut that had all the orgies? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, ruin yeah, everyone's uh, childhood. Okay, so Hercules eventually, so Hercules eventually remarried, uh, but he died when Hera, in another fit of jealousy, uh, told his wife that if he ever thought Hercules was committing infidelity, to poison him, and when she feared that. And when Hercules' wife feared he was being unfaithful, she did indeed poison him. But because of Hercules' great deeds, he was allowed to ascend to Olympus and become a true deity. And that's the gospel true. I will give you credit for trying. <laughs> Good job, honey. Yeah, uh, so from what I can tell, nothing about his story really seems to have changed in fate lore, so there you go. And uh, as for who's playing these characters, uh, for Ilya, we have Stephanie Shea. And for Berserker, we have Michael McConaughey. Uh, Stephanie Shea has played such characters as Noe Harime from Kill la Kill, Lote from Little Witch Academia, and Akira Kogami from Lucky Star. Uh, Michael McConaughey, you may have heard as heard him in such, ro- in such roles as Tatsuma Sugiro in Blue Exorcist Kyoto Saga, The King of Leonis in The Seven Deadly Sins, and His Majesty Charles Z. Britannia in Code Geass, all hail Britannia. Not this shit again. <laughs> also, it is worth referencing that not only is Ilya reprising her role from Fate's Day Night 2006, uh, Stephanie Shea is also reprising Ilya from Fate Zero as well, and... And she's not the only one, apparently, because Michael McConaughey was also in the 2016 version as Berserker. Really? Okay. That's <laughs> funny we got a pair of that that actually worked. That being said, I, I'm not going to have that much to say about Michael McConaughey. But I will say, here's the thing. We were having a discussion about people. People are going to continue to fight 
Do you watch UBW first or do you watch Zero first? Elias Veal, and especially her, mind my, mind my pun, her fate in this particular series Boo! does not work in my mind without the prior knowledge of Fate Zero and the uh, uh, the entirety uh, of the Kuritsugu fa Emiya family tragedy. Yeah, um, so on that note, I'm going to evis I'm going to potentially eviscerate myself by admitting something really horrible. So for a long time, I didn't really know too too many specifics about Heaven's Feel, and I knew who both of the heroines were. So for some reason, I was under the impression for a very long time that the heroine of Heaven's Feel was actually Ilya, which uh, oh yikes! <laughs> <laughs> so, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> vote on your phones. Who's incest? Who's whose accidental incest is worse? So is Jedder So is now a bad time to mention that that was actually a cut route from the visual novel? Because I know that. I'm Whoa. not surprised. Oh boy, I am not remotely. I am not remotely surprised. <laughs> and before anybody asks, no, we are not doing Prisma Ilya. <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's let's get this let's get this train on track. Okay, so Megan, go ahead. Um, so man, uh, I didn't see this performance coming, just like uh, Eliasville didn't see Berserker's death. Um, fuck you. <laughs> uh, fuck you. Uh, that's bad. I'm, I'm also sad. That's like the other part of this show that almost made me cry. Um. Like, I remember, I think I remember, I think I remember when I saw Gilgamesh blind her and rip her heart out. The exact wording I said to the chat was, fuck you long and hard with Ant-Man's Tabasco-covered ass, Gil. <laughs> Yeah. The correct response. <laughs> the most the correct it's ever been. If you're too late, you're too late. You give servant. You give masters a bad name. Um, Stephanie Shea. I I wish Elias Veal was in the show a little bit more. That being said, Stephanie Shea knocks it the fuck out of the park. And like specifically, mostly one episode. Um. Like, she plays, I think, I think she's also the older versions of her, because then she goes down and finds all, like, the Nirvana babies in the pool in her basement that are just older versions of her, uh, reenacting Neon Genesis Evangelion. God damn it. Um. Thankfully, Karitsugu doesn't touch her on the boob. And also, oh, yeah, her mom just, just shows up with a haunting vision and just goes, by the way, uh, your dad left for cigarettes and he's not coming back. Um. I think that's specifically because she became the vessel of the grail and the spirit of the grail, which was still her mom Fate's came weird. to her to Fate's weird. Oh god. Oh wow, now that you've described it that way, that literally does just sound like the uh, Genesis Evangelion. God fuck. <laughs> also, like I said, Kurutsugu Emiya went out for cigarettes and never came back. Um just like my dad. Um that's a lie. My dad is here. But which one? Um anyway I think that's... I can't really say much about Michael Picotti because he grunts and he growls, but goddamn, is Hercules a bro. Um, and just, I think what really got me with Stephanie Shea was that she had this right level of being a 
isolated bratty child who's lashing out at the at the world that she's been born into and her only legitimate friend in the entire world are two two maids who aren't twins and one of them doesn't get erased out of existence but good god almighty I got really fucking upset when they died and I barely knew them yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we are talking about them, but one of them is played by Rachel Lillis, who you might know as Jesse from Pokemon. So That's the other is big up and comer <laughs> Brianna Knickerbocker. Yeah, yeah. And when I say Jesse from Pokemon, I mean the four kids, Jesse. Yeah, so, like um, there you go. <laughs> like just, just like the the scenes where like I love a lot of the images that you see because a lot of times you don't see Ilya talking, but you'll see her and Berserker together, where like Berserker will just appear and cuddle her. Because she saved him from her from wolves. Because you know the Einsburns are, are such good people with child rearing. Um, but I think just her death scene is what really got me. Where she's blinded and just kind of like softly like, It's okay, I know you're here, Berserker, you'll never leave me. And like, it's so childish and innocent and yet just filled with like, you know this is the only thing in, like, this little girl's life that she has left. And it's gone. And she doesn't even know he's gone. Because Gil cut her eyes out like an asshole. And then decided to play the Heart Against Humanity card like the heart of a child. Just, yeah. Get me out of Mr. Gil's neighborhood. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I think that's all I can really say. Go ahead. Uh, man, the tragedy that is the Einsburn Kiritsugu family is vast. Like, this is the most, like, her fate, I, I don't keep using that word, but it's very applicable. Like, her, her outcome in this series is truly the antithesis of why this is the continuation of Zero to me, is because it is built upon knowing that tragedy... And also realizing that there's even more tragedy because near the end, she was willing to meet with Shiro Emiya, the boy who effectively replaced her in her daddy's heart. And she wanted to learn about what Kiritsugu was like in the years where they were apart. And she wants to learn about that from this kid or try and understand this kid a little more. But that's cut short by... Shinji getting dropped in their fucking castle and Gilgamesh being the biggest piece of shit ever. And the thing about Stephanie Shea is that she was all she already had the cutesy voice down in the prior show because she was a little like she was a little girl in that. I think she was like probably seven or eight in that show. And while she is still technically homuncul homunculus, she looks young. I think she is more like 17 or 18 or something as far as like the Fate Stay Night uh, I mean, point. she looked like she was maybe 3 or 4 in Fate Zero and maybe like 13 or 14 here, but I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was like she was a... She was like, I don't actually know the ages. I'm just sort of winging this at this point. The point I'm making is she sounded very cute and young and sweet and lovable Dotaru in the previous. And now... She is the cold, creepy child from a horror movie who will whisper sweet things into your ear before she fucking stabs your guts out and laughs maniacally. That is what she is like when she first enters the show, because she's got this very cold, like, I'm going to kill you now, big brother. Berserker's the strongest there is. 
You don't want to mess with me now, do you? And then you actually hear more of, like, the desperation fight-or-flight instincts that she's giving when she's fighting with Gilgamesh, as well as her development through the years of going from heartbroken that the dad's not coming back to total pain and midlife crisis that she was born to die to feeling nothing to feeling isolation and hurt to finding warmth and love in this big berserker who is the only thing she has left in the world and god even knowing that, even though she doesn't get too much time in this show, knowing what happened in Zero and knowing her character arc, it's still a tragic end for her to just hear, to whisper, Why do I feel so cold? Fuck, man. Stephanie Shane nails uh... it. Uh, she fucking nails it. And then the fucking, the ring your bell in silence cover at the end of that is like, oh, I have that song, by the way. I bought that. It's beautiful and Ring your bell is such a good ending, by the way. <laughs> Califina will be missed dearly, but no, Stephanie Shea nails the entire essence of Ilias Feel as a character, and she is amazing. And I hope at least in one of these paths she gets a happy ending. And Berserker, he grunts and is very menacing, but he's really cool and, like, really a cool fighter, too, in his design. I also think the best thing about Berserker is the one moment where he actually makes Gilgamesh almost shit himself. When he actually breaks those I can chains. Break these oh, oh. Like, the, any time you see Gil lose his shit for even a second is a good moment. And the fact that Berserker, for one instant, made Gilgamesh almost freak the fuck out. Oh, yeah. You oh, done yeah. good, you big know, guy. This just you, rest in peace. This just reminded me of something from the 2006 version of D that might actually make you a little angry. <laughs> uh, it's funny you just said... Try it's me? It's funny you just said, I hope... It's funny you just said, I hope Ilya gets a happy ending, because I'm pretty sure in that version, she actually just comes to say it's Hero's house. <laughs> cool I I would like to see those two be rubies hey big pro <laughs> why are there a bunch of other girls here yeah, <coughs> yeah I think... she, 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 no you know what she'd be like she'd be the one redhead from lucky star oh shiro what does yaoi mean <laughs> <laughs> well you see I can get lancer and archer to demonstrate uh, <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, uh, uh, I'm done. Okay. Roots. Yeah, go ahead, Roots. I mean, I'm I'm gonna start with uh, Michael McConaughey because <clears throat> not really much to say. But um, honestly, when I first saw Berserker on the screen, I thought I thought it was the the Japanese uh, the say I I thought. No, no, no. Not not even, like, a Seiyu. I thought they had, like, used sound effects of, like, a bear. Kind of the Chewbacca kind of thing. Where they where they mix, like, bear and walrus growls. And and it was just a holdover from the from the Japanese, because it was a sound effect. But, like, it, it took Jet to actually say, Oh, yeah, that's Michael McConaughey for me to actually, you know piece it together and that's really impressive to me like i i really like the uh the voice actors who can like mimic animal sounds sort of the the mike mcfarlane kind of thing where he's like ava ava one in uh the rebuild movies 
Like, it, it's really <laughs> cool to find out that, like, those those monster growls and hisses and snarls are actually coming from a human being. Uh, but, you know, that's basically the crux of Hercules as a, uh, as a character, so that's really all I can say. Now, as for Ilias Veal and Stephanie Shea, I... God, I really like the sort of murderous poppet personality she gives to gives to her in her first appearance. Like it's so genuinely creepy, especially like if you if you marathon Fate Zero right before Stay Night and Limited Blade Works. Which you, first of all, more power to you, you fucking masochist. <laughs> it's it's really interesting to see the, the character of Elias Veal go from just, like, a little child who doesn't really understand what's going on in the outside world to, oh yeah, I'm I'm just gonna kill my older brother, because that's what I've got to do for the Holy Grail War. Like, it's, it's really interesting. And then, as her tragic backstory rolls out, like, it's, it's really interesting her narrating everything as it's going on. And the, uh, like, the nightmare sequence was really good. Her fight with Gilgamesh was really good. Just, in general, like, Stephanie Shea is a really good actress, and even still, Ilya's Veal blew me away. So, great job. Thumbs up. You did good. Okay. Uh, as for me... Uh, I'll start with Michael McConaughey since obviously there really isn't too much here to say since, you know, the character pretty much just grunts a lot. Uh, but I thought he did really well with that. And I really dug a lot of the mixing on his voice since honestly a lot of the noises Berserker gets to make sound like really otherworldly. Uh, so what you guys were saying, I actually wasn't sure anyone really was voicing him until I looked at the credits. And uh, sure enough, Michael McConaughey was there, so that was pretty cool. So, of course, the person we are actually here to talk about in this section is Stephanie Shea And, uh, I'm a little mixed on this one. Uh, not the, not the performance, obviously, but, uh, the character. So I guess we'll talk about the first part. Uh, so Stephanie Shea is, pr you know, pretty well known for voicing cutesy anime girls at this point. And sure enough, her Ilya sounds very adorable and precious while still having a sense of regality to her tone that lets you know that Ilya comes from an elite mage family. And that whole noble attitude can be seen in a lot of her interactions with Rin in particular, or even with a couple of her maids, and Stephanie Shea manages to make her sound pretty sinister when need be, and, uh, you know, also giving that sense that beneath it all, Olya is just a lonely kid who was born to, who was li quite literally born to bear an extremely heavy burden, and also not really allowed to have anyone close to her. And Stephanie J really gets across how painful that solitude is for Ilya, and her delivery during that flashback where Ilya finds out what happens to the other golems if he loses, hit, yeah, that hit pretty hard. And I really like that scene. Uh, as for the character herself, I like Ilya a lot, but boy, boy, she just really got done dirty in the end. Like, I can understand wanting to sell the tragedy of Ilya and Zero never being able to form a real relationship as siblings, but the anime staff knew people were coming off of this when Fred's hop on the heels of Fate Zero. So the fact that Zero never so much as finds out about her connected Kiritsugu is kind of disappointing. And especially considering that Zero is literally there when she dies and watches her die. I was like, come on, he could have at least let him know they were siblings. 
Long live king, bitch. <laughs> yeah, and the sad thing is, there's like nobody left alive to even tell him that Eliasville is his half sister. Yeah. No, not foster <laughs> it's, sister. It's one of those very like, unfortunate things. Oh, foster sister. That's right. Yeah. Also, I did look it up, and yes, uh, in Fate Stay Night, she is technically eighteen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> eh, all right. I remember reading that somewhere. I wanted to check to make sure I was correct. Uh, okay. <laughs> nope. Just nope. 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 She looks like a child. She does look like a child, and yeah. Anyways, regardless, she deserves the world, and she's great. Though, as I've probably jokingly said before, the true happy ending where the family is together and Shiro is her adopted big brother is... <laughs> Fake Kalid. Nope! Uh, of course. Be being Ilya is suffering. Uh, being Ilya is suffering. I'm not going to jail. <laughs> let's let's move on, shall we? Okay, um, um, so, uh, just rest to, in peace, yeah, Ilya. So just facing this up real quick. Uh... Uh, so, finishing this up real quick, um, so I was a little mixed on that, but it didn't really hurt my enjoyment of the show too much. Uh, the next arc of the show kind of did that job. Uh, but it did, yeah, but it did make me wish they'd rewritten the rune a little bit to make that work as a zero follow-up. Uh, but anyway, Stephanie says Ilya was real good, and I really enjoyed her take on the character here and in Fate Zero. And with that, mm. it's time to move on to our next group of masters. We have Team Caster. Uh, which includes our caster for the series, Medea, as well as her master, Soichiro Kazuki, and caster's own summon servant, Assassin, who she brought into the tournament because her noble phantasm allows her to literally break the rules. Because fuck you! <laughs> it's literally called you. Rule Breaker. <laughs> it's literally called Rule Breaker. It's OP as fuck. You know what fuck. else is also OP <laughs> okay. as fuck? Tyler what? presents a Medea, ver a very Medea Grail War. Oh, I showed a picture oh, no. of fucking Tyler of Medea, as in like Tyler Perry's Medea as Medea. Could you imagine Tyler Perry's Medea, Medea a Grail War? Oh, I should probably ask, Jed. I should probably ask you. Uh, am I covering the servants first, and then we'll go into uh, place yeah. them? Um, Okay, wanted to make sure, because yeah. I am covering both of these, because one of these is pretty straightforward, but tragic, and the other one is, I also think- Do any of them we'll, we'll involve magic sperm? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, let's start off. As, as has been established, uh, Fate Stay Night's caster is Medea. She is a Grecian heroine- and she was the princess of Colchis, and her father, uh, the king of Colchis, excelled at magic, as did his daughter. She was also practiced in such ways. Her personality at the time would be called a witch, and her fate became confounded after the hero famous from the Argo expedition, Jason, appeared for before her. So, basically, Jason came up onto the scene and tried to usurp okay let me let me read this for a second because i gotta make sure <clears throat> basically the main thing that happens is jason kind of hops onto the scene causes trouble in the country in near colchis and she's trying to get something 
He has the support of the goddess Aphrodite. And basically, when they realize that the king of Colchis isn't going to really work with him, Aphrodite decides to control Medea's mind so that she will forcefully help Jason out. Medea was made to blindly fall in love with Jason, which resulted in her betraying her father and her country for a foreigner she had never seen before. Her abilities allowed her to nullify her father's magical abilities and the enchanted fire-breathing oxen which gave Jason the chance to attain the Golden Fleece. The Golden Fleece is an important item that they possess over there. The king was infuriated. He decided to personally lead his army to capture Jason before he flees the country. Aphrodite, once again using Medea to assist Jason by forcing her to kill her own brother. When she only knew Jason by name, her forced love caused her to board his ship and slice her brother into pieces right before the eyes of her father. The king was overcome with grief and that gave them the opportunity to escape. And upon escaping and returning home, Jason, with the help of Aphrodite and Medea, who is still kind of forcefully falling in love with him, use their powers to overthrow the king of his homeland so he himself will become king. After becoming king, his fellow Argonauts did not approve of this at all, and they basically did not care one bit for Medea. They denounced her as a witch who betrayed her country for a man, killed her brother to save herself, and now had been taken by the throne by deceit. They were chased out of the country and fled to Corinif, where they were welcomed by the king. And that king of Corinif took a licensing to Jason and decided, Hey, you should marry my daughter. And Jason decided, I will marry your daughter, even though she is younger than the woman I've manipulated to love me. But who fucking cares? Your daughter's hot. Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm now married to royalty. Bye, Medea. And Medea was forced into exile. And basically, she then, after being in exile, appears at Jason's wedding, burned everybody who attended with her magic. Everybody except Jason was killed. And Medea's fate after she left is unknown, and her life was filled only with betrayal. It said that the princess became a true witch and continued to roam the Greek lands. Wow. Dang. Fuck Fine. Jason. Dang. Fuck Jason. <laughs> Fuck Aphrodite. Like, the thing, I actually got a lot more endeared to Medea's story, especially in regards to her master after reading this, because I'm like, you got so bad oh, honey you deserve and Dang. okay so just so we this segment doesn't take too long let's talk about kojiro sasaki who is okay i i this is weird even for fate standards i also think this might have been retconned kojiro sasaki is not a real legend he is sort of like a fable in reality, the individual summoned as assassin's true name was unknown, and to be more specific, he never had a true name. Kojiro is known as a master swordsman whose existence is doubted even though his name remains recorded in history. He did not actually exist, so it would be impossible to summon the real thing as a servant. The person summoned in his place is not a heroic servant, but an existent closer to a wraith. If that there was to be a database for all of humanity, he is the piece of data that best matches the parameters of Sasaki, so his personality would become Kojiro's personality and his monumental feat would become that of Kojiro rather than his own. What? Yeah, I it's, do not it's under weird. There's a lot of... This one is weird. Basically, okay, it look, sounds the magic like sperm Kojiro was a Sasuke... lot more straightforward than this. 
<laughs> Kojiro Sasuke is basically a fabled myth who was a prominent swordsman who studied in swords technique. He was born to, like, supposedly a normal family. And there's a lot of things to his lore. It's just, I, I sort of lost intrigue in trying to figure it out just because Fate's promination of him is that he is a fable who may or may not actually exist. The thing is, this was when Fate's Day Night existed, and this was before fictional characters started going into the mix. Because before we started all this, we were talking about Frankenstein's monster, who's a fictional character, which is also a folktale fable. Which means the concept of the fake assassin is kind of retconned already, and my head fucking hurts, okay? Uh... From my understanding, they just... Uh, the Grail just took some guy and made him assassin. Yeah. Like, Let's put it like this. Basically, the myth of the assassin, this is not the real, this is a fake assassin who was summoned to be a servant of Caster, and Caster's rule breaker basically gives her like three fucking servants throughout this entire show. It's kind of bullshit. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. I've said my piece. Okay, so let's move on to who's actually playing these characters. Uh, so for Suichiro, we have Lex Wang. Uh, for Caster, we have Megan Hollingshead. And for Assassin, we have Todd Habercorn. Uh, Lex Lang has played such characters as Igor from Durara, Kenshiro in Fist of the North Star, and Goku in the Tsunami Agent Dub of Dragon Ball Super. He was also apparently the voice of Issei Ryudo in the 2016 version of Fate Stay Night. So, uh... Okay, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to right? imagine that one. Uh, Don Habercorn has played such characters as Alan Walker in the Gray Man, Chikadai in Boruto Naruto Next Generations, and Natsu Dragon in Fairy Tale. Uh, lastly, Megan Hollingshead has played such characters as Boletta Nu from Code Geass, Rakiku Matsumoto from Bleach, and My Valentine from Yu-Gi-Oh! And as I say that last one, it suddenly dawned on me that when Kasser and Rin had their magic duel, Rin won by cheating, so, yeah. <laughs> really, really aping off of My Valentine style. <laughs> of course. <laughs> she really did not win a lot of duels, did she? Of course. Uh, uh, that was mean. Mm. <laughs> okay, Megan. Oh boy, where do we start? Uh, let's get, let's get, uh, Assassin out of the way. Uh, so this, Jet, is this what you mean when if I would have listened to more California dubs, I would have heard Todd Habercorn's adult voice? Yeah. Okay, cool, because he sounds just like Lindell from Megas Bride. Um, it's an enjoyable performance. Uh, he really, to me, Assassin's just kind of there to be a dick to Saber. And just watch the temple. Um, he doesn't do a lot. <laughs> Honestly, he's just like, look at my fucking sword! By the way, did you... It's, it's big, it's, girl. It's, How you like sword. the size of this sword. Saber's is bigger. Um, Saber's has got the royal touch, if you know what I mean. Uh. It's a cut. Um also a strap-on um <laughs> <laughs> damn it i was trying not to laugh <laughs> i failed um i think todd does a, a good enough job as as assassin it's not a standout performance it's serviceable i would say he's kind of like oh it kind of along the same lines as like via sakura and east and and damon is isei he's just kind of there um Lex Lang as the teacher, who, I don't know what it is, like, I I don't know what it is about Lex Lang roles where I feel like Lex Lang is very monotone. 
but it works for this guy who has never had any desire in his life until he's met Caster. To which he then goes full uh, Flynn Rider from Tangled, where it's like, she was my dream. <laughs> I've got a dream. I've got a dream. I just want to see the Holy Grail annihilate all these mongrels, please. <laughs> And with every waking hour, I'm so glad I killed Tokiomi in his power. Just like everyone else, Gil has a dream. Why do I keep ruining Disney songs? Um, An archer collects ceramic unicorn. Okay, let, let's not turn this into a musical. Archer Fuck. That was, that was good, though. I'll give you that. That was good. Damn it, honey. I love you. Um, just, I I guess that's what Lex Lang, I've met Lex Lang, which is weirder, by the way. So have I. Uh, as a oh, small yeah, so baby, as a small baby. Yeah, you were there with me. As a small baby weeb who had no idea who Lex Lang was. Um, anyway, uh, I think that he does a really good job getting across that because this guy isn't supposed to be like, loud like big and loud intimidating he's intimidating by his like very monotone voice or not monotone but very low registered voice and very like you fear him because you know he has no emotions and he's kind of robotic but he does because he totally wants to get that caster to which oh my god i love caster's voice so much i love megan hollenshed as caster slash medea she is sexy, she is vulnerable, she is haughty, she is basically running these little bitches around the map. Like, she is the fucking, like, one of my fucking favorite performances in the show. Like, I love every second of her, and I want her to be in more things, again. Even though I know she does, like, a lot of western stuff. Um, but was it her or the or Ryder who does all the western stuff now? Uh, um, I, think it, I think it's more Ryder than her, but... okay. But no, I I loved her. I thought she I thought she was threatening. I had no idea that was my Valentine's voice from when I was a child. So I thought she, I couldn't even recognize her. I I love every sec. I love her delivery. I just I just love the part that she's just like she's like yeah fuck y'all y'all yeah y'all like shit, and then she kind of gets it because Rin cheats. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I thought she was great. So that's all I have to say. Okay, so I'll start off with Kochiro Sasuke, where I think the voice is definitely very, like, noble and very samurai. Very samurai. It gets the the cadence down. I think Inky does a solid job with the performance, with the mannerisms, and the way he talks to Saber, both in, like, as a matter of... You are somebody whom I respect as a warrior. You also make my loins quite tight. Something like that. He also opens up his heart to her oh. a little bit. <laughs> also by literally having his rib cage yep. open. <laughs> Caster literally rips, rips his rib cage open because he basically questions her own dedication for the sake of her own masters. Like, are you doing this for your own desires or because you truly think you love your master? And she rips his fucking ribcage open and he's okay. <laughs> uh. Hey, Eliasville, this is how you take it like a champ. 
Fuck you. <laughs> like, here's the thing. This show isn't the show is nowhere near as graphic as Fate Zero. But I, I am, but very, nobody gets made into furniture in this series. Nobody gets made into furniture, but it's like, woof! Seeing him just with his heart exposed his ribs out was a bit much for me. That being said, I think the performance is pretty solid, pretty noble, and this is a pretty like there's a couple of cool fights with this character, but it, like Assassin does not get to do much. Though, though the fact I'm more annoyed by the fact that the fake assassin myth stuff is kind of weird and bullshit, even for fate standards. Oh, uh, just Lex wait Lang, until heavens feel. <laughs> just gonna warn you there. <clears throat> Lex Lang as uh, Soichiro is very stoic, calm, seemingly uh, ambivalent. Almost like you cannot tell what he's thinking. You can't tell if he's really like upset or if he's happy and you can never really read him. That's sort of what makes him an intimidating opponent. That's why when they try to attack him thinking he doesn't have any moves up for him, that's when he pulls his fucking magic fists and he basically, the one time he lets his voice go low and growly is when Saber's attacking him. It's like, you, which I don't remember the full line, but he basically might as well have just said, you done fucked up. <laughs> And it's like, ooh, the change in voice was actually, like, really effective, and I thought it worked really well. And it's actually really compelling and interesting to see the dynamic he and Caster have. But I think Lex Lang, his voice really works for this kind of character and the kind of thing that they're doing with the show. And the true standout of this pair of characters is Megan Hollinshead as Caster, who is diabolical. She is extra as hell. She is devious. She is... She gets angered. She is sympathetic. You feel her pain. You feel her struggle. And you really feel like she is somebody who has lived her life afraid of everybody. When her own... Her goal is never really anything. Like, she has lofty ambitions. She does all she can to get power and to survive and to get an edge in this war. But at the end of the day, all she wants is to go back to the home that she was robbed from. And the thing that I find really touching is her relationship to Soichiro is there is nothing this man wants, yet he is willing to help her and hear her out and help her. His dream is her by the end of it. And for the first time in her life, nobody has betrayed her. Nobody is using her. Nobody is telling her what she can or can't do. She's used to using others, doing diabolical things, using and manipulating others, because that's all she ever really knew. But when it comes to him, she genuinely wants to cherish that. And that's something I appreciate a lot more the second time, now that I've actually looked into her myth. And in her final moments, where she is... Ironically betrayed by somebody who has betrayed their former partner. She is killed by her own betrayal from a betrayer. It's very meta, but she's, she dies happy knowing that Soichiro was safe and she wanted to cherish that. And you feel that emotion at the very end. You feel so much from this character. You feel this diabolical larger than life villain from a Saturday morning cartoon. But you also see somebody who has been deeply hurt and is fights because that's all she knows. 
And that's all she ever did know. She's powerful, but she's vulnerable. And I think Megan does a phenomenal job conveying that entire character. Okay. Uh, Root? Yeah, so I think I'm going to start with uh, Soichiro and Lex Lang. I I really dug the sort of really low lead, really low register, freakish calm, and almost robotic persona he puts on him. It like it felt weird during the during the scenes where he's basically there, one of Shiro and the rest of the high school gang's teachers, and then like the script flips and he. Because they, uh, uh, there was this whole subplot involving a, uh, a a magic circle that basically drains the life force out of people, and it turns out it was it was Caster who put it up, and they they assumed after they figured out that he is her master that he would put it into it because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would you know sanction such a thing, and he's. I, I love the delivery of the line where he reveals his role in all of it, where it's just like, yeah, I didn't know, but what's so wrong with that? We're trying to win. And it was, like, bone-chilling. And I I like the stuff at the end where he kind of reveals that he's actually in love with Caster, and, like, that, that was a really good scene. And especially after she dies and he's trying to avenge her. Which you you wouldn't expect him to do given his previous scenes, but, you know. Um, and I'm actually going to move to Assassin right now because, like, I'm going to be honest. I'm not really a fan of the performance. It, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it was a combination of the scripts and... I I just wasn't a fan of Todd Habercorn putting on that regal air for this. It, it felt way too stiff in the Fate Zero sense, whereas the rest of the characters kind of popped a bit, I guess is are, are the words I'm trying to look for. The the performance just felt out of place, I guess. Yeah, I guess is what I would say. Okay. And, like... Caster and Megan Hollingshead, like, oh my god, that was, it's probably one of my favorite performances of the show. Like, she does the the cartoon supervillain very, very well. She does the chess master very, very well. Like, she has plans for her plans with backup plans on top of that in case those plans fail, kind of, kind of thing. And, like, I really dug that. She She's haughty, she's She's sexy when she needs to be. And, like, that end scene where she's dying is... Ugh, so good. So, other than some nitpicks, like, not bad on this end. Not bad with these characters at all. Okay. Um, so, I'll start with Todd Habercourt as Assassin. Um... So Assassin didn't really have too much to do with the grand team of things, since it was just kind of relegated to one spot for the whole show. Uh, I thought it was fairly interesting. Uh, Todd Habercord goes into the deeper end of his vocal register for this one, and plays a character with a mix of suaveness and ability that, you know, helps him give the impression that Assassin is a very prideful warrior. 
And you see that in a lot of his interactions with Saber, you know, where all he really wants is to challenge her to a fair and honorable duel. And unlike poor Diarmuid in Fate Zero, he actually does get his wish there. Curse you, Kiritsugu. Anyway, uh, I also found a lot of his interactions with Castor to be pretty amusing. Uh, especially since in those moments, uh, Todd Habercorn gives Assassin a tone and just kind of makes it clear that Assassin is just kind of, like, begrudgingly putting up with Castor. And I guess the guy probably didn't deserve getting his wrist cage blown open, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, anyway, uh, that was a pretty good performance for what it was. And I'm moving on to Lex Leg and Suitaro. I didn't think we really got to talk about Lex Leg on the podcast before. Uh, but it is a pretty solid vocal range, and he's especially good at playing hard-edged kind of story characters. Uh, so this role is uh, pretty much him in his wheelhouse. Uh, he gives he Suitaro gives a very serious and stern tone that makes the character feel like he's all business. And it uh, gives the impression that he would also be a very strict teacher. And while also giving off the sense of emotional distance, that makes the revelation that he's not you know, particularly concerned with being morally good, not that surprising. Uh, while Tsuritru's overly stoic personality means that Lex Lai doesn't get, like, a ton of opportunities to emote here, I really liked his delivery when he was going over Tsuritru's childhood. And while we don't get, like, a ton of details on why Tsuritru got to be the way he is, there was enough conviction in Lex's tone you can kind of tell that, you know, Tsuritru doesn't have, like, too many regrets over the path he's taken in life. And it kind of helps the idea that he would go out of his way to help Caster a little more interesting. I also appreciate that uh, you can kind of tell that he does really care for Caster on some level. And uh, it definitely did a lot to make their demise a little heavier, especially, you know, actually learning about her myth now. Uh, but of course, the actual standout here is Megan Hollinson as Caster. And boy, this one was a really unexpected casting choice. Uh, while she had technically been in Magzoom Dubs before, this was the first time she'd showed up in one in a really long while. And I remember being, like, really surprised when it was announced she was going to be in the show. And I was only pretty happy she was here because she gives Caster an extremely sultry tone that makes uh, pretty much all of her lines feel hypnotic while also maintaining this very consistently cold attitude. That makes it clear that if you cross Caster, you're screwed. And sure enough, almost everyone who runs into her is screwed. And Megan Hong said it's very good at making Caster sound as though she's pretty much always on top of things. And a few moments she isn't, she's equally effective at making Caster sound, you know, very flustered, and it's just really delightful to listen to all around. I also really liked a lot of her interactions with Lex Langs and Suichiro, since Suichiro is kind of the only person he shows any kind of real vulnerability to. And I like how her tone kind of softens up a bit whenever they're speaking to each other, which helped them making Caster's devotion to him feel very believable. And, uh, yeah, these are all very solid performances, but Megan really nailed it here, and it makes me wish he got to hear a new role more often. I have a question. Go ahead. Did these two fuck in the cooking show? Oh, they're married. They're basically fucking married to the cooking show. Perfect. There is an entire episode of the cooking show that is dedicated to casters seeking out Shiro's ass and being like, teach me how to cook. <laughs> and he's like, and his, okay. and his exact reaction is, what? Make it fucking happen, anime. Make it fucking happen, Bagzoom. Get us that dub that we deserve. <laughs> the other funny part of that episode is when Lancer looks at them and goes, is there anything going on here? <laughs> awesome. Great. Uh, speaking of which, for our next pair of the evening, we have the true hero of the story, Lancer. Lancer! As well as one of our holdover villains from Fate Zero, good old Mr. Evil Priest himself, Kirei Kutumine. Uh Kirei is a priest of the Holy Church who is over... <laughs> 
Fuck you! He was overseeing the Holy Grail War and is currently a good and righteous man who has never done anything remotely shady in his life. No, he's not hiding a dagger behind his back. What are you talking about? Anyway. He don't want anybody else. When he He's not hiding the dagger behind his back. He gave it to Rin! <laughs> he's hiding it at Rin's house. Kotomine don't want anybody else. When he thinks about fucking over Rin, he touches himself. Uh... Absolutely. Like, literally, I'm not gonna forget the fact that he gave the dagger he used to kill her father as a present. What a fucking <laughs> asshole! Oh god, man, was it so satisfying, like, his end. Oh, yeah. we'll get to that, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, so, uh, as for Lancer, Megan, if you would. So, Lancer's real name is Kukulan. He is, in fact, a Irish myth, and it's basically, like, really fucking big deal over there. He is said to be the son of Diakne and the god Loon, the nephew of Conakbar Machnessa, the king of Ulster. His given name at birth was Sitana, but he gained the, he gained the name Kulkulan, meaning Kulan's hound, after he killed a ferocious guard dog uh, belonging to a smith. How the fuck did you get in my room, cat? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you should have had a guard dog of your own. I'm literally like, I literally looked over for a second and then there's just Shinya staring at me. And I don't, and my door has been closed for like the last hour. Anyway, um, after he killed a ferocious guard, uh, guard dog belonging to the Snith, Kulan, Kukulan offered to take his place of the guard dog until the replacement one could be reared. The story of Ku's childhood dates back all the way to the 9th century. And there are a lot of them. It is said that as a small child, uh, he had asked incessantly allowed to be joined the boy troop at Emmy and Maka, known as the Navian Fort in Northern Ireland. According to legend, he said on his own, eventually runs onto the playing field at Emion, unaware of the customs asking for protection. The other boys see this as a challenge, attack him, but he beats them all single-handedly as he carries the trait of Rystad, in which he undergoes a sort of distortion, becoming unrecognizable monster who is neither friend nor foe. Uh, his dad, his, his, basically his uncle puts a, a stop to this. Um, basically a lot of it is he keeps on doing shit by accident. Um, but the most important thing, I think, would be how he dies. King Conaber fears the marriage of Kukulan to Emir because Conaber has, uh, has the right of the first knight over all marriages and is afraid that if of Ku's reaction if he sleeps with Emir. On the other hand, Conaber will lose all of his power and authority over his subjects if he doesn't. The druid, uh, Kathmage, suggests that Conaker sleep with Emir, but Kathbud sleeps between them. After eight years pass, uh, Ku Kulan's son by Alfie, he had a bunch of other wives, Konia finds him. When Konia refuses to identify himself, Ku Kulan kills him. As Kalonia dies, his final words is that he and Kulan could have carried the flags to Ultra's Gate of Rome beyond, leaving Ku grief-stricken. After several years, Ku rides out to face a group of men who have conspired to kill him. They are all the sons of the men that he had killed, because Ku killed a lot of fucking people. Um... On his way out, he encounters three one-eyed hags eating the Feast of Roast Dog. They invite him to join him. Ku has several guests, of which are self-declared taboos, if broken, would lead to his inevitable downfall. Two of his guests are never to eat dog meat and and never to refuse uh, hospitality. Basically, he kind of gets fucked. <laughs> At this junction, he has no point but to break one of his guests. He takes one bite and places the bone under his thigh. The hand he uses on his thigh is immediately weakened. Kukulun continues his journey and is eventually killed while fighting his conspirators. He when he receives a fatal wound, he tied himself to a pillar so that he would die standing and facing his enemies. That's, That's hardcore. Fucking metal. <laughs> but Kukulun's fucking metal, guys. 
as the prophecy foretold, Kukulan had reached fame but died at a very young age. The legends of Ku are still true to this mm. day, as uh, are still told to this day as a mythological hero. The story of his strength and power have lived on and retold through many of the years. Um, today, the image of Kukulan is invoked both by Irish and Ulster Northern Ire- uh, Ireland nationalists. Irish nationalists see him as the most important Celtic Silas, uh, Celtic Irish hero, while Unionists see him as uh, an Ulsterman defending the province from enemies to the south. Basically, in fate, most of this is still there, guys. Nice. Um, if you go on and look up fate shit, there is a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, he apparently captured the other spirit, Me- uh, Medib, who if you play FGO, she basically wants to fuck Ku to death. Basically, he returned, uh, but instead of treating her, uh, but instead treating her as a king, uh, he actually brings Medib back, but treats her as a queen. Though it's not something he planned, he never once killed a lord or a woman. He did not like killing women on the battlefield. Loving and hating them made no difference. There were no major battles after this point, uh, other than a strange young man come down to stir up trouble. He bid if any warrior uh, who would speak to him. So the king declared that only Kukulai could beat this boy. Other than that, before his own death that marked him, the only uh, the event that marked the only time his wife stopped him, crying, you mustn't go. There's a um, Basically, he has to fight a battle that makes him use his, uh, his uh, phantasm. He basically had married Medib. Um... He kind of he kind of dies in the same way, but it looks like he dies defending Medib instead of just dying by his co-conspirators. The big thing is this: Kotamine is not his original um, his original master. His original master is a woman named Bazette Fraga uh, McRemitz. She was his master. She was sent by the Mages Association, but was betrayed by Kyrie Kotamine, and he fatally wounded her. So essentially, she is she is in fact Scottish. She is in fact from the Mages Association. Uh, basically, she was very kind, had a great sense of justice. She was temper short tempered yet calculating. While she presents herself as a strong willed, immature woman, in truth, she is actually rather lonely. Brissette had always intended to summon Lancer uh, for the Fifth War. The reason behind her motive was the desire to save him since childhood. As a dispassionate and desolate child, Brissette found herself immersed in the story of Kukulan, finding herself grieving over such a tragedy that it was his legend, and at the same time, finding a purpose for herself. She strove to become a strong magus, gambling, uh, gambling in the wild hopes of summoning him and using the Holy Grails as a means of saving him from his inevitable fate. And Koto Mine well, took that, that was... fucking shit away from her. Seriously, how the fuck did you get in here? <laughs> Yo, what a fucking G. <laughs> I okay. also want to mention we, that we Ku should... literally fucked another woman pregnant as revenge. God. Y- yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Roots, who plays yes, these you characters? Mean? Yeah, yes, you, yes. Rah, fuck. It's okay. You're not tired. Okay. You're tired. Yeah. You, the listener, fuck you. Are tired. Okay. Oh. Uh, so it's okay. So playing Carrie Cartamini, we have Chrisman Freeman reprising the role from Fate Zero, and for Lancer, we have our ADR director Tony Oliver. Uh, Chrisman Freeman has done such characters as Itachi Uchiha from the Naruto franchise, Sume from Wolf's Reign, and Alucard from Helsing. Uh, Tony Oliver has done such characters as Okior from Bleach. Harry McDowell from Gungrave, and Arson Lupin III from Lupin III Parts 2 and 4. Wait, he, Tony Oliver was Ukiora? 
Yeah, Tilly Oliver Yellow, yeah, yeah. was Okiora. What? Yes. I know, it blew my mind, too, when I found out about it. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, like, I wanted I, to see I him do indecent Wii things. Game oh my where, god, where when was I was in middle Okiora. school... Jesus Christ, when I was in middle school, I went to see Ukiyora do awful things to Odahime. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that's funny. And, and, of course, it is worth mentioning that Tony Oliver is also reprising his role here as Lancer for the 2006 version of Fate Stay Night. And, uh, Megan, would you start us off, please? Stop looking at me like that, cat. <laughs> She's just judging me. <laughs> Uh, so let's get Koto <laughs> Dikomine out of the way. Uh, Crispin Freeman is back on his bullshit. Um, he is the same menacing-ass motherfucker, vile, venom in his voice, dripping at the bit. Like, I am a good Catholic priest who has never done anything wrong. I didn't murder a girl and lie to my servant and... He, it's exa it's everything you liked about his performance from Zero carried over, but also gets a little frustration because Lancer's a piece of shit and keeps throwing wrenches into his plans. <laughs> and he also almost gets killed by Castor at one point. So he's like, oh, right in front of my salad. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about let's talk about the good boy, the bestest boy. Who's a good boy? Lancer. <laughs> Who's a good dog? Who is just so fucking attractive. Um, Tony Oliver's voice makes him even more attractive. <laughs> um, that's a really weird thing to say, but holy shit, does it do things. Um, stop laughing. It's okay. We're not here oh. to shame you. Mom, are you yelling at me again? Shinya's looking at the door like somebody's out there. Got zoom ears. Um, no, just, he has this just very much a, hey guys, sup, kind of voice about him to me. Where it's not dude bro-y, but it is very much confident and full of life. And just... To understand, I think, what my favorite coup moment is in the entire show, and Tony Oliver's delivery on this is absolutely pitch perfect, is um, actual reject Sword Art Online villain Shinji Mato. Um, actual lost Sword Art Online villain Shinji Mato is trying to molest Rin. And all of a sudden, Lancer just shows up next to him and, like, bops him. On the cheek and sends him across the room. And Tony's like, yeah, real sorry about that. I meant to say stop and my fist kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that he delivers it with the air of, yeah, no, I was never saying stop to you at all, bitch, baby. <laughs> um, it's so It's just good. like, I will love and protect. And just... My other favorite line delivery is when, uh, so Kojimine is like, hey, guess what? Guess re time for you to de-air mood yourself. <laughs> and then he gets up and is like, yeah, this ain't shit, bitch. Um, <laughs> and stabs Kotomine and pokes, and pokes Shinji who runs away crying. 
And then tells Rin that if she was just a bit older, she would totally he'd totally be into that. <laughs> because you know he was totally into his old master. Because she's just like Rin. And just I think Tony Oliver is an absolute delight as as Koo. And I really want the cooking show because Koo shows up a lot. And awesome. and the way that he, he presents Koo, especially um Koo's Seiyu has a very distinct voice, too, if you've never heard it. Um, I like that it isn't a 100% replication of his Seiyu, but it is somewhat similar in the terms of his tone. Cool. Now she's just staring at the corner like there's a ghost there. Okay, so Crispin Freeman, I'll keep nice, short, and sweet. That man continues to have a diabolically sexy voice, and God, he is a diabolical piece of shit where you were just kind of waiting the entire time for the karma to finally hit him in the fucking face. I didn't know face, Austin Tindall was in this he... anime. God damn it. But, no, <laughs> it's just, he is so, like, you can tell he's being noble and kind, but you can feel that diabolical smile behind his actions. Especially that one point when you're going into Caster's past masters, like, send this letter to Lancer's master, so that he can assassinate uh, my servant and I can summon a new one. It's like, right, contact Lancer's master. Surprise, He's like, oh, you're fucking smug. This. <laughs> and just the satisfaction in Crispin's voice when he's like, oh, I killed your father so good and it was the best day of my life. It was so much fun. You're going to be a great vessel. And then when he finally gets stabbed, it's great and amazing. Now let's talk about, uh, also, Rip and Piss, uh, Kirei Kotamine. Uh, you will not be missed. Except by your evil boyfriend, Gilgamesh. Anyways, uh, more on him later. Now we're talking about Kukulain. And Tony Oliver has this very unique quality to his voice where it's like it's kind of like he is not very you, he's not like a dude bro or he's not like some surfer guy but he just sounds like he sounds like the cool guy you would hang out with at the bar and he's got some stories about his life and he's gonna tell them to you and he will tell them with the level of finesse and comedic timing and quality that would make John Mulaney blush he is... I brought John Mulaney into a discussion about Kulain and Fates. That's a new one. Um, but, no, there's just something about the quality of his voice. It seems very casual and laid back, but he also has an air of menace, menace and confidence to him that he always knows what he's doing, and it's always, like, the right move, and he's just going to do it, and he's going to do it. He's very noble for somebody who got paired up with a piece-of-shit master in the show, and the watching him interact, especially with Shiro and Rin, is a ton of fun. As well as his battle with Archer, where it's a, basically a giant battle of ideals. And their colors clash with each other. And they look really good fighting alongside each other. It's cool. But some of my favorite smug standout moments is when he's like, I'm going to team up with you guys to beat Caster. What do you want from me? And basically what comes out of Shiro is... Don't steal my girl. And he's like, oh, oh, that's how it is. Okay, I'm going to respect that. There's something going on. Girl, you got yourself a stupid one. I respect that. And there, it just it's like, I, there's nothing going on between us. And he just looks at the camera like, yeah, sure, there is. Trust isn't. me, <laughs> Ku's also got a stupid one. 
<laughs> Indeed. But, and then also just like when he is nearly dying and when he still gets that giant stab on Kotomine and as he's laying there dying, having that really tender moment with Rin as he basically lights the whole place on fire where it's like, in another time, I would have loved for you to be my master. Which, she is! In a fun fact for you, I don't know if we'll ever cover this particular thing, in the Fate Extra Alternate Universe, there is a Rin Tosaka, and her servant in Fate Extra is Lancer's Cuckoo Lane. Also, B-Guys, if you have to ask, there are like seven bajillion Lancers in FGO. There's a there's lot like, of Lancers, my like, god. He's a fucking popular character, like guys. Lancer, we could be here all day. Lancer, while, while she's contemplating all the different uh, cuckoo lanes, I'm just going to say, T Tony Oliver has this very funny, casual cadence to his tone of voice, but he really brings out the personality, smugness, nobleness, and really smug sexiness Who is pretty hot shit. Lane. He's hot shit, and he end and he end he went out flaming. He went out flaming. <laughs> Roots, take it from me. All right, so um, I'll start with Crispin Freeman as uh, Kire. Like I, I love that he he kept that sinister sarcasm from Fate Zero. That was like my favorite part of his performance in Fate Zero, and I just I love hearing more of it. Like, especially the flashback with, um, with Caster's original master, where he, he's just like, Oh, I didn't kill her. Whoever did it must have protected her from this world. What the <laughs> fuck? That's, uh, that's another John Mulaney joke. I had actually planned to do uh -oh. that before Andrew had made his. Oh, Motherfucker, what's with all this psychic linking going on? But, um... I don't want to have to give a man a chance with you. I don't think your master would appreciate that. <laughs> no, I don't think she would. But, uh... Like, I, I really... That's reserved for me and me alone. <laughs> my only complaint is... Kira didn't get to do enough... Before, you know, the end game. And, God, his reveal uh, that he had uh, he had killed um, Rin's father. Oh, hey, Rin. so good. Hey, Rin, when I killed your father, I sounded just, just like, like, like this! <laughs> and then he just does his Alucard voice. <laughs> he just went for a walk that night. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Alucard goes for a walk. It's beautiful. It's hammy, and I like. I wish there was a fate spinoff where where Kire comes back because I want more. Oh wait, uh, <laughs> Heaven's Feel. It's called Fate Heaven's Feel, and there may or may not be a scene with him involving Mapo Tofu. What? <laughs> oh, uh, oh, uh, it probably is worth noting. Uh, Kire does show up for like ten seconds in Fate Extra, but I'm pretty sure it was a different voice actor. Ah. It was. I looked it up, yeah. and it is. Yes. Okay. Ooh. Well, moving on to uh, to Lancer. Like, 
I love the fact that Tony Oliver basically gave him his Lupin voice. It is so wonderful hearing that come out of Kukulain's body. It's just... Like, I, I'm not even saying this as a... Like, as a backhanded compliment. Like, I really do like the fact that it's basically Lupin the Third's voice. Like, I can... Like, the, the smug facial expressions that Lancer gives off, I, I just feel like he... He's just one step away from messing with Pops. Just one more and then getting into, like, an... <clears throat> then, like, uh... Oh, God, what was the model of the car? I don't remember. Like, Audi, I think? Anyway. But it, it's just it, wonderful. It's smug. It's sarcastic. And I love the, like, the last scene he gets where he just basically pops Shinji like a... Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Balloon. And he just goes... Psh, 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 off. It's just oh, no, so the not the Ronald Balloon again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so satisfying. And, like... Every opportunity Ku gets to speak, it's just... Wonderful. I, I had a smile on my face the whole time he, he was around. Except for the beginning, where it was kind of, like... Maybe he's a bad guy, but in the second half of the show where he actually got to do things, it was just so pleasant. I spent a so, lot of the show wondering when he was coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I also wondered that too, and then when he came back, he had a he had a strong presence. Also, so apparently his um, summoning item is his earring. Oh. Cool. cool. That's interesting. All but, right. Both of them gave a really solid performance. I would probably say Tony Oliver's coup is a, another one of my favorites from this show. Okay. Uh, so as for me, I'll start with Crispin Freeman. Uh, since uh, for as big as a presence as he was in Fate Zero, uh, Kiri doesn't have like a toll ton to do here. Uh, well, he's pretty much the main antagonist in Fate Zero, and he's also the primary villain in the Fate route of Fate Sedite. If I remember anything's right. In this route, Dugamesh has that job, so Kiri is just kind of here to act extremely shady, uh, give some explanation about the Grow War, and uh, deliver some backhanded start to Shiro and Rin, since he was enemies with both of their dads, and he is clearly having way too much fun keeping that information to himself. <laughs> like, like, especially just like the way he reacts when he meets Shiro and he learns who Shiro And he's like, oh, what's your name, boy? He's like, my name is Shiro Emi, and you can just clearly see that Kiri's laughing to himself. You can just see that <laughs> oh, Kiri... fuck, it's another one. <laughs> you can just tell in that moment that Kiri Kotomine achieved maximum arousal. On that day, Kotomine's boner grew three sizes that day. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, did Gilgamesh's butthole. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so for what we do get here... Uh, Crispin Freeman carries a character with the same level of energy that he did in Fate Zero, and does a great job of making him sound proper and holy, while also giving him a very thinly layered level of menace that makes it clear you really can't trust anything this guy says. I'd admit his stand-out scene is definitely the moment where he admits to Rain that he killed her dad, and seeing the shift in his performance from when he's, like, gloating over... when he's gloating over that fact to when he gets literally backstabbed by Lancer was really entertaining... And uh, Chrisman really sold how much that portrayal caught Kirei by surprise. 
I wish Grisman had like maybe a little more material to work with, but he definitely made it most of what he got here. Uh, Tony Oliver's Lancer, on the other hand, is definitely the standout here, and it helps that Lancer is pretty much the best character in this show. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with uh, Tony Oliver's raids, as I've seen like a pretty fair amount of mid-2000s Magzoom dubs. And uh, one archetype he's generally been pretty good at is the Charming Rogue, and uh, between Harry McDowell and Dungrave and obviously Lupin, those are some of his best examples of his work in that area. And with that in mind, this was a pretty sensible casting choice. Uh, I was a little weirded out that he was one of the few people to keep his role for the 2006 version, but it's very easy to see why he did. Uh, because he definitely sells Lancer's laid-back but very noble attitude. It gives the character an immediate sense of charm that makes it impossible not to like the guy. And he's also really great at being incredibly snarky. However, he doesn't get as many sarcastic lines as, say, Archer does. Uh, a lot of his interactions with you and Rin are particularly fun. And Tony Oliver just completely nails how smug Lancer feels in that moment where he tells Rin that, yes, she and Shiro are indeed a couple, and the fact that he hasn't realized it is, like, really weird. <laughs> Rin... You are, in fact, morosexual. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, she hey. is. God. Um, hey. Hey, Tosika. I got stabbed again. Shut up and take your shirt off. Okay, uh, that happens a lot. Uh, so funny as Tony can be, though, he's equally effective in Lancer's more serious moments. And men's get across Lancer's warrior pride while doing with characters like Saber. And especially with the likes of Kirei and Shinji, who he finds way too despicable to actually put up with. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't pay too much attention to this performance when I first watched the dub a couple of years back. Uh, but uh, looking at it now, I can safely say it's one of the best performances of the bunch. And it makes me wish we'd see Tony Oliver step out of the director's chair a little more and... Uh, do some meteor rolls every now and again, because when he's good, he's really good, and this was great. And with that, we're going to move on to our final trio of the evening with our antagonists. We... Well, this is not our final section, by the yeah, way. Yeah, this is not our final more. section. This is like like the last section with three characters. Uh, so we have Shinji Mato, Gilgamesh, and Shinji's servant Ryder, whose true identity is Medusa. Uh, Shinji is a mage from the Mato family and a classmate of Shiro's who's known for his smug and haughty attitude. Uh, as for Ryder, I will leave that one to Roots. Yeah, so the legend of Medusa is that she is one of three uh, three sisters known as the Gorgons, along with uh, Sitheno and Uri Uriel. Uh, Gorgons basically being winged creatures with snakes instead of hair, and when you look them directly in the eyes, you will turn to stone. Uh, so, Medusa was fe featured pretty heavily in the Legend of Perseus, where she is beheaded and her head basically used as a, as a weapon. Because it still had the ability to turn people into stone. Uh, Perseus managed to trick her by looking at her via the reflection through his shield. So as not to look her directly in the eye. Which, you know, allowed him to finish the job. And he also had the, uh, 
He also had aid from the Helm of Invisibility from the Greek god Hades. Oh, and Medusa at the time was also pregnant with the child of Poseidon. Fun. Greek mythology, Anyways, ladies and congratulations. Congratulations, we have now especially spent more time on Medusa than Unlimited Blade Wars did on her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn, that's hard. Just like when you look at Medusa. Uh, of course. Am I wrong, you though? Aren't. Am I wrong? You uh, so anyway... Uh, uh, so anyway, playing Shinji, we have Connor McCarley. For Gogobesh, we have David Ernest reprising his role from Fate Zero. And for Ryder, we have Melissa Fawn. Uh, Connor McCarley has played such characters as Mikazuki Orcas from Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, Cyborg 009 in Cyborg 009 Call of Justice, and Shigeo Kakeyama, a.k.a. Bob from Bob's Echo 100. Oh, good uh, God, David- Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, David Ernest has played such characters as Arthur Augustine Angel from Blue Exorcist, Senketsu from Kill a Kill, and Assassin from the 2006 Deed version of Fate Stay Night. Hey, who'd have thought it? Yeah. Uh, lastly, Melissa Fawn has played such characters as Haruka from No Wine to Your Other Self, Rika Naonaka from Digimon Tabers, and Edward from Cowboy Bebop. Fun fact, I actually own something that David Vincent directed now. Cool. It cost me a lot of money, and it better be fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's Sword Boys. It's it's gonna. Yeah, for anybody asking, yes, I did plunk down and buy Katsugeki Token Rambo. All right. Cost me a hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah, don't feel uh, don't feel bad. I probably end up plugging down on Neverland whenever that comes. Oh fuck yeah, I'm plugging down for Promise Neverland too. Okay, uh, so anyway, would you like to start us off, Megan? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, let's, let's, uh, get Ryder out of the way. She has two lines. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> she gets, yep. she's, she's, I like you, Melissa Fawn. Like, I, I think I, she, you, did you say she was, uh, Rika, Rika and Digimon Tamers? Yes. And Fuck, we should go back and do a Tamers episode just so we can properly talk about her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Um. No, I, it's a real shame that she doesn't get to do a lot in this. Uh, basically, uh, Heaven's Field, the episode, if it ever happens. There we go. Um, I feel really bad go. that we we don't get to talk about her. Like, we don't get to talk about Sakura as much. I know that if they ever dub the cooking show, Ryder shows up a fuck ton in that. Nice. Ryder's there a lot, and at one point they go to, like, a little... Like, you find out, like, she goes to, like, the local water park to exercise. Oh my god, that's adorable. Awesome. And she gets into a volleyball match with uh, against like Shiro and Saber and Lancer, and then Archer shows up, and Archer oh, keeps God. trying to, de- and then Archer keeps trying to decapitate Shiro with a volleyball. I remember this, okay? Because you you showed okay. me stuff. Uh, I'm probably gonna make you guys watch it, maybe. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, I forgot I own this. This AB catalog is getting impossibly large at this point. Okay, cool. Um, but no, um, moving on to Gilgamesh. Uh, if you remember from the Fate Zero episode, I didn't have, I wasn't the fondest of David Vincent as uh, Gil. I felt like he wasn't smug enough. I felt like he wasn't like smarmy and sexy enough. But I think in this this one, he really nails it, and I think he is the right level of sassy bitch. Um. 
He is the right level of sassy bitch. And just absolute evil curmudgeon who murders a child, rips out her heart, sticks it into a fuckboy, gets to play Akira, and then tries to drag Shiro Emiya into hell with him. To which just just the whole the part where the, the part where he takes that L is the most satisfying thing in the world. Um <laughs> yep. he is just so smug and arrogant and just that kingly Also when he shows up and goes, Hey Saver, it's been ten years, you're still hot when you're mad. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't do the you're last right. part, but you know he's thinking it. Um But man, let's talk about the actual star of this segment. Lost SAO character Shinji Shinji Matopas played by Kyle McCarley. I'm not kidding you in that when a bunch of us are watching SAO Alitization last weekend, um, there was a character that looked exactly like he walked out of Shinji Mato's dick. And my exact thought was, oh my god, is that Kyle McCarley? And it wasn't. It was not. Uh, it was Chris Hackney and another guy. I forget who the other guy was. One of them was Chris Hackney and the other- I forget who the other one was. Either way. Um... But Kyle McCarley is the right level of slimy and absolute pussy that is needed to play Shinji. I keep wanting to call him Shinji Akari and I shouldn't because that's a good Shinji. This is a bad Shinji. That Shinji respects women sometimes. (laughs) Except for that one time where he choked out Asuna because she wouldn't stop shutting up. Or the one time he... Did that over Asuna's unconscious, but okay. You know this analogy is falling apart. Please continue. You know what's worse is that you know that Shinji Mato would totally do it over his victims, too. Oh, oh should, yeah. Shinji... Shinji Mato... Okay, let's, let's do it like this. Here. We all know Shinji Mato masturbated over what he did to Bruno Palencia's character. Uh, God, no, uh, here... I was going for something similar, but that was... Oof. Though, the one thing I do have a complaint, and it's not as much Kyle McCarley's problem, is that he sticks out like a sore thumb in this show. And it's not Kyle McCarley's problem. Kyle McCarley does a fantastic job of playing Shinji Mato. He is the exact level of swimy, whiny, bitchy baby that has absolute, has such little overt depth to him. Obviously, there is a lot going on in this character. This is a character who comes from a family that has lost its prestige, so much so that they had to basically take the second daughter of another family as a dowry, have basically, like, abused her her entire life, and are setting her up to basically become the new head of the family, and he's probably just being tossed off to the side, and no one's ever told him he's doing anything wrong. But the show goes out of its way to make him, like, over the top and gets off by kicking puppies. That it feels a little bit out of place. And I literally mean this as the best, like, I know this sounds like an insult to Kyle McCarley. But Shinji in UBW is like a reject Sword Art Online villain. (laughs) Do you want to know what my one redeeming factor about Sword Art Online is, people? It's the dub. He works wonders for this character. He makes him very much likable. And if you're asking, no, Shinji Mato does not show up at, if any, at all in the cooking show. Before I want to go on, one of the things I want to point out is that in one of the bonus chapters of the Emiya family manga, Archer shows up and, um, 
And Ryder literally has a sign that says today's menu and it has the name bleeped out family. And she's like, so you're finally hijacking this title, Archer. Um, but basically she gets to talk a lot in this. And it's kind of great. And you got, you got done dirty, Melissa Vaughn. <clears throat> okay. All right. So, uh, starting quickly... Melissa Fawn has a very good and interesting voice as Ryder. She's got a very cool design, and I can immediately tell that she has nothing really going on in Unlimited Blade Works. I can't wait to hear more of what you got when I watch the Heaven's Field trilogy. See you later. Uh, Gilgamesh! Let's revisit Gilgamesh, because David Vincent is basically the final boss in this show. He is smarmy. He is cocky. He is owning the place. He is a diabolical dickhead. He's larger than life. He's trying to destroy all life. He's got a very interesting... I think he's actually kind of interesting in regards to, like, if I would, if I had to choose between, like, ten slaves in my time and I had to pick one to survive, I could not choose between any of them because all of them have worth in this world. In the world today, nobody has any worth and they're all useless and should just fucking die and be my peasants. But... God, he is such an evil, diabolical monster, and it's actually really funny seeing him interact with Shiro, because there's no more satisfying realization than the fact that he is a king, and he has everything, but he is a master of nothing. And the fact that he's a master of nothing means that Shiro, who is basically a master of nothing and a total fake himself, is the one person who can actually stop him. So when he finally does get to kick his ass, it's a Fan-fucking-tastic. Two, two years worth in the making. L. And God, it's so satisfying. David Vincent does that high and mighty noble vibe. And when he gets his ass kicked and when he's panicking and when he's nearing death, he's like, I'm not taking, I'm not dying today. Fuck you, you you're there. coming with me, it's... little white boy. <laughs> and then he gets a headshot and then he gets fucked. But yeah, no, David Vincent does a very fun job being, uh, Gilgamesh again, and I think he actually does improve a little more at the smarminess in this role. Kyle McCarley is a fucking bitch baby asshole motherfucker who is the, the voice, biggest... not the man. Kyle McCarley is probably a very nice person. I'm sorry. Yes. Shinji is the biggest all of that. Kyle McCarley plays all of that phenomenally, and he, like, this is probably one of his earlier roles, too, and what a fucking strong impression to make is this deliciously evil cunt and he is just basking in how much of an asshole he is but he's also the biggest piss baby loser is that he would just totally shit his pants at the side of any trouble and he just running with his tail between his legs he does these really fantastic freakouts and moments of anger that's genuinely like terrifying and bratty but ferocious and he's also so smug and shit eating and every time he's interacting he thinks he's better and god anytime he gets his ass kicked the most satisfying thing is when he gets punched by Koo and when he gets the tiny it's not even it's not even like a full stab it's a tiny Prick. little cut on his shoulder which is the biggest disrespect to Shinji as a person and it's so satisfying the most surprising thing to me about this character is that he's alive at the end of this route. I physically cannot believe that he got akira and lived. I'm not even upset. I mean, to be fair, it I'm was just not like, him who got akira It was basically, like, grail body shit. He, he was 
it literally was through his body. Okay, fair. Like, that's gotta hurt. That's gotta fucking hurt. Anyways, uh, Kawakarli is so deliciously fucking diabolical, evil, shit-eating piece of shit. But he's a ton of fun to listen to. Good job, Kyle. Okay, Ertz? Yeah, so... Brighter, like Megan said, only gets, like, two lines. I I started watching the dub, like, Sunday, and today is Tuesday. I I barely remember the lines she spoke. No offense to Melissa Fawn. I will definitely have a stronger opinion of her performance when Heaven's Feel rolls around. Well, I mean, it's, it's already here, but I just need to, you know, get it. But, um... Uh, David Vincent's Gilgamesh. Honestly, I think Gilgamesh benefits the most from the change in scriptwriters from Zero. Because, like, no, this isn't meant to be, like, a, a jab at Patrick's sight, but... Gilgamesh in Zero was very... very regal, very stilted... Uh, presumably intentionally, but it, like, for, for Fate Stay Night, he actually got to be, like, really smarmy, really, really sarcastic, and it was, like, it was really fun. Like, it, it made the character of Gilgamesh a really fun villain to watch. And just all the back and forth between him and Shiro, him and Saber with their history, uh, him and Kotomine and Shinji, like, it, it was all just so much fun. And I, I really miss the character, and I... Ooh, I, I am so happy that one of the, the fake Grand Order animes is going to predominantly feature... Babylonia, Gilgamesh. baby! And I hope they get David Vincent back to play him. <laughs> so good. And God, Kyle McCarley is Shinji Mato. Just the the layers of slime and grease he gives. Uh, it's just like it, it's not even like just plain grease. It's like ham grease. It's just uh, so magnificently evil and respects women <laughs> and uh, like uh, and just his reactions every time he basically gets jobbed by somebody. It's just <laughs> like like I mentioned, he he gets like little baby poke from Koo. <laughs> And he's just running around like a pop balloon. And, like, several times he gets punched out, and he's just a little bitch about it. And it's just... Uh, uh, now I've just got to... Oh, nothing. Sorry. As I say, now I've just got to remember, like, the moment, <laughs> the moment where he loses Ryder. And he's just kind of, like, looking at the camera from his perspective as he's running away. <laughs> and then he goes on to complain about how much Ryder was a shitty servant. <laughs> my servant, my servant was broken. Get me another one. Uh, uh, my father he... will hear about this. Shinji, did you break the servant? 
No, father, I did not break the servant. It was Sakura's fault. <laughs> yeah, you know, blame it on her. God. I was a proper mage. What a piece of shit Shinji is. And that is my worst Kyle McCarley impression. Um, But yeah, uh, Kyle... Here's like, how you know Shinji's not a good boy. Shinji doesn't like milk. Oh, there we go. Mm. But yeah, like, Kyle McCarley is probably, like, this really cool person in real life. And just... He just makes Shinji sound so much like a shitbag. It's... Like, I, I'm gonna be honest, this is probably my single favorite performance of the show. Like, I really mm. like Lancer, I really like Caster, I really liked uh, Taiga, but this is probably my single favorite performance of the show, just for how, how smarmy and conniving he is. So, thumbs up all around, good job. Melissa, I will see you in Heaven's Feel. Good job. That almost sounded like a threat. <laughs> oh my You're god, it kind of just because the way. Yeah. You said see you in Heaven's Feel. I was like, yeah, right. know. yeah let's uh, let's trim that around. Yeah, honey, yeah, come back. I like the idea of seeing Roots as a pug gangster. To be honest, we're living that's most a... our life, living yeah, in a gangster paradise. Egg. Oh yeah, that's yeah, no, that's a that's that's a story yeah, for another day. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, while we're going through this section, I wanted to like go back and double check because I wasn't entirely sure if my memory was accurate. But I I decided to go back and look at who played Shinji in the 2006 version, and it was in fact Doug Erholtz. So uh, imagine, really? <laughs> you know what? Polnareff is kind of somebody I could see in a Shinji Mato role. Polnareff and Iggy. <laughs> I need uh, to check out a D night. I own it. It's on high dive. Uh, that's that's. Yes. <laughs> I bought Works that willingly, legit. blind for ten dollars. <laughs> oh, that's actually a good price. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'll. Somebody said that was still way too much money for it to me. Okay. Anyway, I will start with Ryder since uh, unfortunately he doesn't really get a whole lot of speaking wise as he gets killed off like really early in the story. And it's a shame because Melissa Fott is a really fantastic actress, and I would have liked the opportunity to talk about her in a little more detail. Uh, for what we got, this performance seemed like it was on the deeper end of her vocal register, which was interesting, but it also kind of seemed like she was like maybe straining her voice a little bit to maintain it, and that made a couple of her line reads sound like maybe a little stiff. Uh, aside from that, I don't really have like too much to say. I know Ryder's a bigger presence in Heaven's Feel. So I might have I might have had more to say if I had actually seen that movie, but I haven't gotten around to that yet, so this didn't leave much of an impression on me for now. Uh, what did leave an impression on me was David Ernest's Gilgamesh, which is a role I was also kind of mixed on in Fate Zero, and that I actually still am here. Uh, one thing that's immediately noticeable in Gil's portrayal here compared to Zero is that while in Zero he was, you know, more or less playing the role of the seducer and helping to turn Kiri to the dark side. Here, he's a lot more openly smug and hammy in his villainy. And I think the character also kind of affects David's performance as his deal sounds a lot more flamboyant and over-the-top in his vocal delivery. And uh, while I got used to that, after a while, it kind of gave me a little bit of whiplash for the first couple of episodes after his appearance. And unfortunately, that change in his performance kind of made David's performance, that change in his delivery kind of made David's performance a little rougher on the edges for me than in Zero. 
And since, like, when I said there, I actually, I actually thought David was pretty good in the role of the seducer, and, uh, other than his catcher with Kill a Kill, I've never really found him to be particularly good at being very heavy, so... And since that's kind of all there really is in this version of Gil, David's delivery felt a maybe a little forced to me at times. Uh, it's not a, like, downright terrible performance, since David's still a pretty good actor, and he makes it... And he makes it solid enough that it's not, like, a big distraction... Uh, but next to the, uh, but next to the, but to Melissa Fonz Rider is probably one of the weaker performances in the dub for me. Uh, but, uh, one performance that definitely was not weak was how McCarley Shinji, because this one was a lot of fun. Uh, looking back at the time, uh, Kyle McCarley's only other major anime credit back then was pretty much just Alba from Dura-Rox 2. And I liked him in that role, what I had heard wasn't really enough to convince me he would be a really great fit for Shinji. Uh, but thankfully, I was proven wrong very quickly because Kyle McCarley pretty much used a slime for the second Shinji Mato first appears on screen. And the tone of his voice is just so overly smug and snooty that it makes you want to see the character get punched in the face. Uh, pretty much any time he does literally anything, and thankfully Shinji does get a lot of comeuppance. And Kyle is equally great at making Shinji sound very whimy and foppish in a way that's just like really hilarious to listen to. And it really helps to just paint the idea that Shinji is a total idiot who's in over his head at pretty much all times. And I especially dug a lot of his interactions with Gilgamesh. And uh, while the chemistry between Kyle and David's performances wasn't nearly as great as what we got with Gil and Kira in Fate Zero, it flowed well enough that you almost immediately get the idea that Gil pretty much just views Shinji as a useful idiot. And he's pretty much just playing him at almost every opportunity. Uh, while to knowing that Chinsy didn't, you know, receive any lasting punishments in the end for how handsy he got towards Rain in the final act, well, like I said before, I like to believe that Sakura was secretly just poisoning him during all those hospital visits. Uh, there so is anyway, one thing I... Oh, sorry, finish up. Um, so anyway, while only, like, one of these three performances really totally delivered for me, all three were pretty solid, and I didn't think they took away from the ensemble too much. And Kyle Shinji in particular was definitely a real treat in spite of how utterly vile the character actually is. So, fun fact, something I actually learned about um, learned about the show was, if you pay attention to it, uh, they both were on the archery team. Uh, apparently the thing that caused uh, Shiro to quit was that he found out that Shinji was hurting Sakura and he beat Shinji within an inch of his life. Ah, that is my thought. It explains a lot and makes me respect Shiro a whole also, lot Also, you were asking uh, what Caster does in the Emiya family manga. The exact line that Ku says to her when she shows up with uh, Shiro learning how to cook. Now here's a pair I don't see uh, together often. This is coming from the manga, not the anime. What's going on okay. here? Is she robbing the cradle? <laughs> God damn it. Okay. So, I will say this. Uh, there is one thing that Shinji was correct about. For once in its entire life, is there is nothing hotter than a pair of perfectly toned thighs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And with that, and with I that, think it's, it's time, time for us to move on. Yeah, with that, it's time to get into our main characters of the show, starting with Rin Tosaka and Saber. Otherwise known as King Offer or Indie Giant Mess at his fate lore, Arturia Pendragon. Uh, Rin is. Or Altria, if you're a fucking FGO <laughs> yeah. person. You know. uh, so Rin is the heir to the Tosaka family and mages who possesses a strong sense of conviction and enters the ground war to take out the other mages and Saber's lore is like way too long and this is getting too late. So. We covered it in zero, <laughs> fuck yeah. off. We're not doing that again. Uh, basically, basically King Arthur, but girl. So there you go. 
You want also, to know magic, more? Dick and read sperm. the manga. <laughs> read okay. the everything. Anyways. Yeah, read the everything. Uh, so anyway, playing Reed, we have Mela Lee. And for Saber, we have Kari Walgren, who is also reprising her role from Fate Zero. Mela Lee has played such characters as Yuki Cross from Vampire Night, <laughs> Maria Takarada from Skip Beat, and Ava from Tweety, from Tweety Witches. Uh, she is also here reprising her role as Reed from both the from, from Fate Zero and the 2006 Deed version of Fate Stay Night. As for Carrie Walgren, she has played such characters as Anomine from Eureka 7, Fu from Samurai Shampoo, and Karina Wild, aka Blue Rose from Tiger and Bunny. I was going for prominent ones. I'm sorry. Just threw up in my mouth a little. Um, I guess I'll start off. Let's get Kari out of the way. Uh, while I do enjoy Kari's Kari's performance as Saber, I hate what UBW has done to Saber. <laughs> uh, don't we all? Ubi, Ubi, I, I don't like UBW Saber very much. UBW Saber only kind of gets good moments at like the very tail end of the series. Otherwise, she is pretty much just waifu bait, and I hate it because I uh, feel like she is an absolutely complex and emotional character in Zero. And then I'm like, this is a downgrade. Yeah, uh, I'm so not over that wedding dress. Yeah, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? That was into some shit. That that, that was Nasu being very horny. I made. For, yeah, I'm not gonna justify that. That was weird. Calm the fuck down. Da- what'd you do? Go get high with Mashima for a night? <laughs> I don't think Mashima was even, like, born then. Is this where Mashima got his kinks from? Jesus Christ. Um, this explains a lot. Um, uh, but... I guess we're pretty sure Mashima's been around for a while, but whatever. Anyway. I, I realized as soon as I said it. Joke They got past. drunk one night and just decided anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything kinkier than you. Um,. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, back on track. Um, I think Kari does a really good job as this saber. I I do like that she does get resolution in the end and she properly gets to take out the grail this time. Um, I think that she has a very beautiful moment where, and I think she absolutely delivers where she's like, if I would have taken the other choice, would I have lived this life anyway, even if I'm full of regrets? Like, it's like either way I was damned if I do, damned if I don't, I might as well accept my fate in life. But... Oh, let's get to the awkward part. I have no idea how I feel about Mila Lee as, as Brynn. Mila Lee has a voice that takes a lot for me to get behind. And I don't mean, I, like, I'm not trying to be rude. Like, I think she, she, for, I didn't get into this performance until, like, very later on in the series where Brynn started to open herself up to be more vulnerable. Um, I think that the way that she, just I don't know what it is. I'm 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 not used to listening to Mila Lee act. I think her acting is there. It's just something in her voice. And I will not lie that a big reason that I have a hard time listening to her is I th- she was part of what I consider to be one of the honest to god worst English dubs ever made. And she was a very big factor in it. So getting past that to get to the fact that she does nail Rin. I don't think anybody else in English could be Rintosika. Um, but you also have to really get into it. And I think that she brings this sort of regal maturity and she nails the, the, the Sundere. She gets all of the character beats down almost flawlessly, but I wouldn't consider her one of my favorite performances in the show. I just don't know why. 
Um, I think that she works really well off of Shiro's actor. Um, the the mana transfer scene where, t- oh, they fucking. Um, <laughs> they basically they, they were fu- fucking that part, but they, they couldn't fucked show it. and they couldn't show it. I mean, one series got a, a dragon. This one got two weird bird ane- anemones in the ocean. And some dick trying to jump over some hurdles. Uh, but but it was just a mana transfer. Doesn't matter, still count. <laughs> Shiro just had sex, and it feels so good. Hmm. Um, that's all I have to say. Okay. So, uh, going off of this, uh, Kari uh, Walgren... Uh, it's good to hear her back as Saber. I think while it is a different rendition of Saber, I can also buy the fact that, like, slightly different renditions of Saber can be, like, brought depending on, like, certain environments or certain things. I, d- I think there is... I- I've tried to give some benefit of the doubt that, like, the difference between the character in Zero and the character in UBW are different, but I don't think they are necessarily that bad interpretations or that different from each other in some regards though i do think that it is interesting to see like her like be cuter and do that stuff but she is also somebody like she is a very stern like a character who's stern and noble and it's interesting to me to see her see a little be a little more cute and vulnerable though granted this is with the knowledge that you are aware that she is king arthur and the whole thing about uh the fate Stay Night novel is that you do not know she is King Arthur until later. And the reason you don't know she's King Arthur until later is because Shiro's fucking stupid. And if he knew who she was, then everybody would know who he was since he is an open book. I will say that's one other thing that really, I think, just bothered me about the show is that for a lot of the show, they kept bringing up how much of a good guy Kiritsugu Emiya is. And there's just something in Kari's performance where it's like, Oh my god, if you only knew he was the fucking worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but it's it's a nice return to see some of the things that she does with her, and I love I love that baseball scene with her. I thought that was a super cute moment, but you get to see some of her noble royal vizier voice again, which is always a welcome return to form, and I do feel that as far as like cool battle, she has a good one with Kojiro Sasaki, and I really did like her, her making a pack with Rin and her finally getting her moments to destroy the Grail once and for all and actually getting somewhat of a closure compared to the terrible fate that she ended in Zero. And I thought that was nice. Mela Lee as Rin Tosaka. Uh, let's just say it right now. Rin Tosaka's fucking hot. And bisexual. She is the bisexual queen we all deserved. And this is canon, by the way. Fuck you, fight me. No, it's she fucked Saber. She, she fucked Saber and liked it. She... She also, like, literally dressed Saber in clothes that she thought looked good, so... Yeah! She likes the good Christian schoolgirl outfits on Saber, which... (laughs) That's funny in itself. But she's also really hot, and before you judge me, in the epilogue, she's legal! Fuck you! (laughs) Anyways, now that I've remarked at how fucking hot Rintosaka is... Mela Lee is another performance that I will say, it did take me a little bit to get used to her, and it is a very distinct tone of voice that she possesses, which I am not particularly used to hearing her do. That being said, 
the acting is there, the emotions are there, the times where she gets flustered, where she gets angry, where she gets high and mighty, where she gets pissy and bratty, where she gets emotional and vulnerable, where she gets badass. Also, she's really kind of badass and a little bit sexy when she's saying German shit. It's really good. But she gets it all down. And one of my personal things that made me laugh the most is when she's talking about, how are you going to find out if Issei's a master? You're just going to go up to him and be like, hey, dude, so are you like a master or something? And that mocking dude bro voice. I actually thought that was really Followed funny. Followed up with the, oh my and god, that was your plan, wasn't it? That's like, that was actually your plan, you fucking idiot. And Rin's whole deal is discovering she's more on sexual, and she likes it a lot. She has a lot of great chemistry with a lot of characters. With Rin, Rin is she really great with wants Saber. to see Shiro's Saber class. Rin is great with Shiro, and not even just in bed. Just the back and forth banter between somebody who is kind of like, has a giant wall, and somebody who is defenseless and thick-headed as fuck. And her, com her relationship with Archer especially is really interesting she works off a lot of characters well and melody while it did take me a lot to get used to she nails rintosica's essence as a character down perfectly okay rich yeah so honestly while i had said in a previous segment that uh gilgamesh benefited from the change in adaptive screenwriting i i think saber was the one that it was kind of to her detriment. Because, uh... My question is, how much is that is the detriment to the adaptation and the change in writers? Oh, that's, like, that's a good question, because it, like... Because it, I, I feel like there is, like... She didn't seem quite as regal in Fate Stay Night as she did in, in, did in Zero. Like, there was a little bit of that nobility stripped away. I don't know if that's, like, script writing or if that's just Nasu versus, uh, versus the Booch. But. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure it's Nasu versus the Booch, but. Probably. But, like, there was, there was a bit of a difference that kind of annoyed me a little. But, you know. Kari's performance was there, the the acting was there, the voice was there. It was just it, it just felt a little too different compared to compared to Zero, because I, I have not seen Fate D Knight, so I don't have a basis of comparison on that front, so And uh Mela Lee as Rin kind of the same deal there where I I did not see the 2006 version so I can't compare the two I did like the voice I did like the performance like Megan and Andrew said it took a little bit to get used to it but once it was there it was there she she definitely got the Sundere act down to a pat and while I didn't think it quite fit for Zero because Rin was very, very young when Fate Zero happened. I I thought her voice really worked here. And I'm I'm just kind of getting rambly, so I, I just want to say they both did a really good job. Okay. Uh, so I'll start with Carrie Walgren, since like the other Fate Zero crossovers, this, uh, well, carryovers. Uh, there isn't really a whole ton for her to do with this show. 
Uh, much like in Zero, carry is really great at getting across a strong sense of regality in Saber's tone. That makes it pretty apparent that she's a person of high standing, while also making it clear that, like, many of the other heroic spirits, she's a proud warrior and places a lot of emphasis on chivalry and honor, which can be seen in a lot of her interactions with the other heroes. And the respectful but honorable tone she gives to the ones she views as honorable versus the clear condemnation she gives to the people she views as evil. I also dug a lot of her interactions with uh, Shiro and Rin, since unlike her relationship with Kiritsuku, which was pretty much non-existent till the end of Zero, uh, she has a pretty good rapport with both of her masters. Uh, she has a very clear, if like kind of begrudging, respect for Rin that kind of grows as the series progresses. Whereas with Shiro, she acts more like a concerned parent trying to explain things to her very dumb child. And I thought that Carrie handled both of those dynamics really well. Uh, while Saber doesn't give, like, too much of an arc here, I will say that as much problems as I have with the Shiro Archer conflict, we'll get to that later, I did like how seeing Shiro resolve himself to sticking what, with whatever his path will be, come what may, uh, kind of helped with allowing Saber to come to terms with her own regrets, and I thought that uh, her farewell to Shiro with Rin at the end was very sweet. Uh, which she had a little bit more to do as she well, as about to do as she did in Zero, but I enjoyed this. Uh, I also really enjoyed Melanie as Rin, and, uh, and I can see why she got to recast her role for the 2006 version. And while she has a little bit of trouble getting into the character for the first episode or two, and once she really finds her groove, she does a great job of carrying across Rin's prim and proper attitude as a noble, as well as how much pride she takes in where she comes from, as opposed to Hero, who very clearly does not. Uh, unlike with Ilya, though, who only kind of seems to break away from her, like, noble tone, whenever she's at her lowest. Uh, Rin's emotions fluctuate quite a bit over the course of the show, and those are the moments where Bella's performance, like, really shines. And whenever she's being, like, really sassy towards Archer, or, like, extremely flustered towards Hero, I really appreciate how much Bella's tone kind of shifts around and allows Rin to, you know, kind of drop the noble act for a bit to sound more like a normal teenager. It's especially so during those moments where she's, like, really ticked off about something, and she's really great at getting across Rin's very frequent frustrations without ever really breaking character. And it helps that out of the entire cast, she gets to play off of the other characters the most. And uh, her chemistry between and the chemistry between her performance and Shiro's actor in particular was a lot of fun to listen to. And it helps that making their bonding romance feel pretty adorable. And uh, while this wasn't quite my favorite of the female performances in the show, and uh, Bell and Hogsy kind of steals the show there. Uh, I got more mileage out of this one than I expected to, and both these ladies did a fine job. Mm-hmm. And with and with that, it is time to finally move on to the boat of our swords, and with our final pair of the evening. Uh, we have our protagonist, Hero Emia, and the heroic spirit, Archer. Yeah! Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Did you the- mean the entire reason Megan watched this? fucking franchise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, yeah. is there something you're trying to tell us, Megan? Jet knows what question he's legally obliged to ask me. Yes, okay, yes, so, yeah, so which would you rather get pierced by, Megan? Lancer's lens, or Archer's arrows? God gave me two holes, double team, baby! Though uh, no, Archer gets to go in my mouth because he's kind of a dick and at least Lancer would treat me right afterwards. <laughs> so he gets the one that counts. Of course. <laughs> does he? Does he yell? Does he yell unlimited blade works every time he comes? 
Yes. Of course. Yes, and Koo's good at okay. doing it doggy style. There we go. Now that's out of our system. Okay. It's out of our system. Let's, Let's continue. continue. Uh, so I sure only we- am currently accepting mana transfers from one Roots of Justice. Who <laughs> uh, I don't uh, think anyway. can hear me, but anyway, I heard, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just kind of <laughs> Jet, please. Okay, I'm going. Uh, so Shiro Emiya is a young man with limited skills in Magecraft who someday wants to become a hero of justice, and idolizes his adopted father Kiritsugu. Why? <laughs> as, he doesn't he know doesn't any know, better. He doesn't he... know better. Uh, as for Archer, for the first half of the story, he's only known as Red Servant, but his true identity as a heroic spirit is eventually revealed to be none other than the future version of Shiro, and his only desire to grow a war is to kill his past self in order to undo his regrets. Uh, so playing Archer, we have Katie Tang, and for Shiro, we have Bryce Pappenbrook. Uh, Katie Tang exploits such characters as Guts from Berserk 2016, Popo from Anohana, the flower we saw that day, and Hendrickson from The Seven Deadly Sins, as well as Osamu Dazai from Bugo Stray Dogs. Best performance of last year. Yep, uh, as for Vice Pappenbrook, if you've listened to anime to any anime dubs in the last decade, you've probably heard him somewhere in them. And he's played such characters as Rin from Blue Exorcist, Saz Blood from Bloodlad, uh, Kirito from Sword Art Online, and Aaron Yeager in Attack on Titan. Hmm. So, go ahead, Megan. Good God Almighty, Shiro Emiya is the most Bryce Pappenbrook character to ever Bryce Pappenbrook. Like, he is just, like, the quintessential Bryce character. He's a good boy who's a hero and does stupid things and doesn't... But, like, I I think that he is, like, such such an interesting character where, like, he acknowledges that, yeah, I'm doing stuff stupid... My mentality is fucking, like, self, like, literally will lead me to self-terminate. YOLO, motherfucker. (laughs) Like, he doesn't care. He wants to be a hero of justice and damn if anyone's gonna make him stop. Like, literally everyone's like, he is too stupid to stop himself. And Bryce does a really good job getting all of that across. Um, I do think that he is... By far the safest casting choice in the entire show. Like, this is very much like, if you if you didn't tell me who played this character and you asked me what California actor plays Shiro Emiya, I would have said Bryce. Like, it's... I think this was also kind of, like, at the height where Bryce Papperbrook was definitely, like, everybody. still regularly being a, being a leading, leading lad. He still is getting his fair amounts of leads, but, um... Not, uh, not, not, not so, reprisals not so much, yeah, at this not point. Yeah, not so much these days. It's more reprisals. Um, I will definitely say that I think he gets a lot of those moments. One of the things I also really want to compliment Tony Oliver for, and I wanted to save it for this, is that uh, I have a thing when people have uh, younger versions of themselves that I think the voices should match up pretty easily. I think Mona Marshall is a very, very good choice to lead into being Bryce Pappenbrook who then gets to lead into what everybody wishes to grow up to be, KG Tang. Um, but... I wish I could be I, I wish Tang. I could be KG Tang. Um, KG Tang is cool as fuck. Um, but I I think that the he is a really solid rock as Shiro, because this story might be Rin's route, but Shiro is still very much the main character. Um, 
that being said, let's move on to Archer, who has to carry a lot of weight and be an absolute bag of dicks. Um, and Keiji Tang is very good at playing an absolute bag of dicks. He is conniving, he is distant, he is very much keeping everybody at an arm's length away, but you know that this is a man full of regrets. And I know Jet hates this part of the show, (laughs) where it's just you, me, Saber, all these swords in this reality marble, come at me, you little bitch! Um... I think KG and Bryce do a good job screaming awful philosophy at each other. I I know that it's not... I don't want to steal Jet's point because I've read Jet's notes and Jet's about to say something that's going to make me very happy. Um, I, I say let him yeah, say the thing. So then. I think that KG does a good job carrying that. And I think... And Alright, let's get to the one thing in the show that actually made me cry fucking tears and that is when sheer when archer says goodbye to ren at the very end of the show and it's the first time you see archer looking like shiro and he finally says take care he finally calls ren by her name i think kg absolutely nailed that scene to the point that like yeah a lot of stuff got me really emotional that's the thing that, like, actually had me screeching at the television yelling, kiss her, you idiot. Um, just, there, I love KG's acting. I do. KG Tang has become one of, if if not my one of my favorite voice actors uh, out there, my favorite California actor. And getting to go back and hear this, because this was obviously sometime before he was getting a lot of other shows... Like, he, he wasn't no, unknown He wasn't at that an time, unknown, but, but he wasn't as prominent as he was now. So. He also is a fan of the material. Yeah, no, too, oh no, he much. follows, like, I think, like, uh, he is, he follows me on Twitter, and he's retweeted a couple times when I, uh, retweet incorrect fake quotes, and I think he actually follows <laughs> Saber Says. He, he, he follows awesome. Saber Says, and I think, like, they actually freaked out about him following him following them so but no i love i i really i liked bryce a lot i loved kg as archer so i'm good so i will say this when i first started unlimited blade works my first thing i going into this was to expect shiro emia to be stupid and yeah shiro emia is pretty goddamn dumb the thing i did not expect is that his drive to protect everybody is almost kind of psychotic in the regards that he lived through a terrible tragedy where everybody around him died and he was he has a huge survivor's guilt thing because of the thing Karitsugu Emiya did for him And I feel that it's kind of interesting to watch somebody be that self-destructive and so dangerously dedicated to his ideals is because he can't forgive himself for living. This was something I've been kind of contemplating and it's just, it's a really interesting thing to him where it's like, To see that moral conflict with himself 
Not only internally, but externally, when he's literally trying to kick his own ass. <laughs> hey, I'd fight me. I'd fight me good. I'd, I'd do- would you, would, No, would you fight me? I'd fight me. I'd fight me so hard. God damn it. Thank you, Roots. I had a very serious point there, but I had to do the levity. Because I think that's a really interesting sort of unsung thing to Shiro Emiya. Is that it's like this fear of like thinking he doesn't deserve to live if he isn't always helped putting others before himself. And Rin basically being like, you should deserve to love yourself the way you love others. You deserve that because I love you. Good. Because I love you and others love you and you offer that. And I thought that was actually kind of a beautiful exchange. And because that was over Ilya's grave because he's thinking, I feel like That they to had to build for her, FYI. Yeah. But I thought that was really interesting. I'm talking a lot about Shiro Emiya, but let's talk about Bryce Pappenbrook first and foremost. Bryce Pappenbrook, like I said, this is, you could probably write this off and be like, oh, it's just another Bryce Pappenbrook like leading role. But honestly, there's a lot of complexity to this in that he gets a lot of strong emotional beats down. He gets a lot of the comedic dumb boy moments. He gets those really cool action moments. And when he wants to be a total badass, it gets those big moments when he's fighting Archer. And when he's kicking Gilgamesh's ass, it's very satisfying to see him do some of the shonen stuff. Especially when he gets the full Unlimited Blade Works chant. It's really cool. And he has a really fun chemistry with... Uh, Rin, Tosaka especially. The two bounce off each other. That's not even a sex joke. The two just bounce off each other really well. And I think Bryce Brappenbrook does a pretty solid job. I'm not sure I would say it's like my favorite Bryce, but as far as Bryce Pappenbrook rolls, I'd honestly go far as to say Shiro Emiya is kind of up there for me, to be honest. As for Keiji Tag, fucking Keiji Tag. Fucking Keiji Tag is phenomenal. There is so much gravitas to his voice. He's cool and sexy as fuck. He is both loyal, he is both snarky, and there is just so much to him. Like, he is funny. Like, he is te- Like, I, I love those moments where he's stern and badass and angry and emo as hell, but when he's also kind of being hilarious in that deep voice, Especially when he first appears, and the first thing Rin asks of him is to clean the fucking house. He's like, you are a servant, right? That's what you do. And he just responds, I will do as you wish, and you can go to hell, master. It's like, oh, they fucking... <laughs> and that that solidified so much of Rin and... Sa of Rin and Archer's relationship with each other. I'm like, oh, these two are fantastic. And, like, he's also teasing Saber about her ideals. And he's got so much charm and suave and anger and gruffness and just hatred and self-loathing. And he is willing to destroy his own past to make sure he never exists. And that have that much self-loathing and detriment only for the end of the show where he has finally learned to accept himself and who he will be that he is asking the love of his life to take care of him so he becomes that good man that he will become. There's a lot of time paradox shit, but I love seeing Bryce and KG play off of each other, especially because they both clash with each other and they are fantastic characters. And like they it is watching them 
do this show. I had a ton of fun. I know it's kind of messy, and I know it's weird to watch them talk for most of the time. I actually kind of enjoyed the conversation in the reality marble, Jen. I know you, you have opinions, and I will let you say them, but I actually enjoyed that part of the show a lot more than I was expecting. And But part of that might have also been because I really like Bryce Pamper book, and I especially loved KG Tang, who... Is the best fucking performance in the show, Barney. Yep. Roots? Yeah, so uh, I guess this is the My Future Self and Me segment of the show. Dragging mm-hmm. yet another, <clears throat> like, late 2000s reference in there. But, uh, let's see here. Who do I want to start with? Um, yeah, let's go with Archer and KG Tang. I really like that. Like, like Megan and Andrew were saying, uh, the character of Archer has a lot of self-loathing to him and anger towards not only himself himself, but his past himself. And, like, I, I really like how that played out in the early sort of character arc with him. And, ugh. Ugh, yeah, so good. And... Like in particular, the the fight with Shiro and the in the reality orb. Like I I really like the purple reality of marble out of that. Uh, God, and, and the the very end of the show where he's saying goodbye to Rin is just like, uh, it made me fucking cry. have her call you by your name, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a discussion about that on another server. I know Megan was there about, like, I don't think he wanted to be that. I don't care what that. Archer wants! I want that! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your feelings! I want my ship! They make such beautiful babies. And Bryce is... Lancer and Koo would be so good. <laughs> and Bryce's Shiro is, like, really interesting. Because, uh... There are points where I actually legit thought that he was brought in to initially record Archer's lines so that KG Tang could come in and, like, like reference, have something for reference for, like, mannerisms. Because the two of them are, like, spot on with one another. It's scary. Like, I... If you had told me that that the person who played Archer was basically, like, the the actual older self of the person who played Shiro, I'd have probably believed it. It was that uncanny. But anyway, Bryce is Shiro. I, I really like the sort of suicidal stoicism he has. Just, he is willing to go out of his way to help people. And, and I like the analogy Andrew put out, that it was basically survivor's guilt for the the incident at Fuyuki City ten years prior that basically set everything into motion. But, okay, the part where it's like, by the way, Excalibur's scabbard has been inside you the whole time. That was some bullshit, though. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was very shown oh, bullshit, yeah. for sure. I, I think that was basically, like, hand-waving the way that he was able to summon Saber, but... Mm. Uh, I I really like that both him and Keiji 
were able to, like, have really good chemistry with the rest of the cast in various mm. ways. Like, being Sundere, two-way Sundere, is sure, sure something. <laughs> but, um... Is Shiro technically a Yandere because he's psychotically going forward on his path? No, that... I mean... Is he a Yandere for justice? That this is this is a conversation where yeah, it's yeah. it's too late for this kind of conversation. But like the performances here were really solid. Good job. I'm I'm just like uh, Bryce Shiro was. I saw the casting when it was initially announced, and I'm like, yep, that's a Bryce role. And yeah, now we're we're sitting here, and I'm. Talking real good things about it, so good call, Tony Oliver, casting Bryce Peppenbrook. I'm basically done. Okay, uh, all right. Uh, so I'll start off with Katie Tag. Uh, so when the announcements for this dub came back way out when, I'll admit that I actually wasn't really sure if Katie Tag was a good fit. Like I knew his general baritone was probably a good match to Janiti Suwabe's voice. But at the time, I'd only ever really heard him play, like, extremely gruff characters, and given that, you know, the general appeal of Jinichi Suwabe is that the man has one of the sexiest voices on the planet. You're not wrong. I, I was a little worried we weren't going to get the same level of sultriness with his tone in the dub. And uh, for the first couple of episodes, that fear felt kind of founded, because even though there wasn't, like, too much rock with Casey's delivery, it sounded like maybe a little sift to me at times, and it felt like he was trying so hard to maintain his sense of sultriness that he was maybe having a little bit of trouble getting into character. Uh, however, as the dub went, Casey Tag got notably more comfortable in the role, and by the time he got to his main confrontation with Shiro, I was really invested in his performance. Uh, I really dug a lot of his dynamic with Rin, and Casey's perfectly deadpan delivery for a lot of Archer's really snarky comments and a lot of making them a fun duo. And I could also watch an entire show that's just Casey Tag's Archer and Melalee's Rin playing off of each other. Uh, while we don't see like too much of Archer's Warrior prides as a heroic spirit since, well, he isn't really that proud of himself. I do like the air of confidence he gives off to the majority of Archer's battles with other spirits. And you kind of get the impression that much like with Megan Hogg since Caster, that Archer is pretty much always taking a few steps ahead of his opponents. And of course, he, but of course, the most important thing here is Archer's dynamic with Shiro. And out of everything in Casey's performance, this is probably the part where he shines the most. Uh, for the moment the two start interacting, Archer cheats Shiro like maybe an aloof older sibling at best, and an absolute nuisance at the very worst. And Katie's voice carries a very distinct level of state in pretty much all of their early interactions. And of course, that's very intentional because as we find out, Archer is the future Shiro. And when Archer unleashes all of his self-hatred onto Shiro, the mix of anger and conviction in Katie's performances... It's honestly just really intense, and it had me on the edge of my seat pretty much the entire time I was listening to it. Uh, but great as that fury was, though, what really got me was just how much Katie was able to convey how much pain Archer was in. And for as much fury as he throws at Shiro, you can also tell that he doesn't really want to do this. And it just completely told me how broken the man actually is. Uh, it wasn't quite enough to tell me on the arc as a whole, but Katie's performance here grew to be one of the strongest on the show, and he really impressed me here. Uh, moving on to Bryce Pappenbrook Shiro. This was another one where, where I first saw the casting announcement, I wasn't sure if it was really going to work for me. Uh, this still came out during a time period where Bryce Pappenbrook was so popular, he, you know, it rolled like Aaron and the Dragon Titan and Kirito and SAO. 
But it felt like he was showing up as the lead in practically every other Cali dub, so I was kind of a little tired of hearing it back then. And thankfully, his actual performance here managed to turn me around pretty quickly. Uh, compared to the likes of Arid or Rin from Blue Exorcist, who are mostly walking bowls of teen angst, Shiro was like a little bit more laid back and maybe a little bit more composed. Uh, he could get a little too serious for his own good at times. Uh, but for the early parts of the show, he seems like a fairly good kid with a mostly good head on his shoulders, if, you know, maybe a little bit dumb. And Bryson's performance mostly reflects that as he plays Shiro as being, you know, very relaxed and trying to act like the adult in the room whenever he's around his friends. I also like how well he managed to, he managed to play off of the general bluntness of Rin's pseudo tendencies, and the dynamic is equally entertaining during the very few moments where you see Shiro getting, like, really flustered around Rin. And Bryce plays that up, plays that awkward ability really believably, while, you know, still making it very funny to listen to. Uh, but good as he is with the awkward, with the outward side of Shiro, he also gives a very small but kind of distinct sense of emotional distance that helps in hinting it at the idea that Shinji is mostly, uh, Shiro, is mostly just putting up a front around other people, and that his mind's just kind of mostly stuck in the past. Uh, the feeling gradually grows as we kind of learn more about his character, and while Bryce sells Shiro's level of faith in his beliefs well enough that you don't doubt that Shiro really believes in them, uh, you also kind of get the sense that he's just kind of echoing someone else's words, which in this case happened to be Kiritsugu's. And this ends up coming to a head when he's kind of forced to confront Archer. By the time he's learning how empty the road he's walking really is, Bryce is really great at making all of Shiro's sudden doubts and himself feel very natural. And this never really breaks even when Shiro's at his lowest. I really dug the performance, and given that Shiro didn't really leave any kind of, like, big impression on me in the 20, 2006 version, I was very surprised at how much I ended up liking him here, and Bryce's work definitely played a really big part in that. Unfortunately, while I thought Katie and Bryce had fantastic jobs here, my problem ultimately boils down to I really, really, really don't like the Shiro-Archer arc. I like the idea of Archer being Shiro's future self, and Shiro being forced to question if his beliefs are really worth destroying himself, I just gotta hate how that arc ends. Mainly that it doesn't really have an ending. We spent literally four straight episodes watching these two debate each other, only for Shiro to ultimately go, well, continuing to do this is probably going to destroy me one day, but I'm gonna continue Fuck doing it. it anyway, because, well, that's such a way I am, I guess. YOLO! YOLO! Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and for the amount of time that took, there's really no excuse to not have and a resolution. And Archer's there like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just feel like for the amount of time that took, there's really no excuse to not have a resolution that's maybe a little more nuanced than that. And I feel like maybe if it was tied more into Shiro's post-traumatic stress disorder, or maybe, you know, learning to care more about himself, or maybe just even more about his relationship with Rin, I'd be a little bit more okay with that answer. But it's specifically shot, but it is very specifically tied to Shiro's idealism. And going on that length about that, only to arrive at that kind of answer, just kind of felt a little bit too much like Natsu wanted to be really subversive without actually knowing how to suck the landing. And I guess in fairness of Limited Blade Works technically is the middle part of a three-part act if you count all of Fate Stay Night as one story. But each of these roots are kind of supposed to be their own thing, and given this it may well be the only exposure anime viewers ever get to this story, I kind of wish they maybe at least considered rewriting the dang thing so it would work out of, off of Fate Zero better. Uh, I mean, it is what it is, though, and while I still mostly like the show overall, this section kind of brings things to a screeching halt for me every time I watch it. Uh, but with that, it is time to move on to Final Thoughts. Holy fuck, this is a big one. 
it's there's a lot going on. Yeah, uh, don't worry. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty right. sure. I'm pretty sure there's definitely a lot that can be trimmed out, so we'll be okay. Yeah, there's like a, a good, like, like 50, twenty minute gap in here that's getting trimmed. Regardless. All right, so I will try to make my final thoughts really quick because I think I got a lot of my thoughts out in the show. Uh, number one, if you're asking how long it took for me to figure out that Shiro Archer was in fact Shiro, episode at least four. How did I figure it out, if you have to ask? Thank you to the anime Renee for teaching me what Kyudo is. Kyudo is the exact form of archery that Shiro <laughs> is actually doing. If you pay attention to Shiro's bow when he's using it as an archer, it is almost the exact same one that he is using when he is taking care of the dojo in episode two. Therefore, that's how I figured it out. It wasn't the actual necklace thing because my theory was Archer just went in and stole it because fuck Shiro. Um. <laughs> also, bouncing off of that quickly, rewatching this for the very first time, episode zero, he straight up whispers Trace on. Motherfucker! <laughs> He literally mouths it in episode zero, and that was something I called a rewatch. I'm like, oh fuck. You motherfuckers. Wow. Um I thought I thought this was a really enjoyable dub. I would not say it is my it, I think it is probably in my mind actually the despite having performances like KG Tang, like Megan Hollis said, uh, and like Kyle McCarley that I enjoy. Uh, I would say in terms of the overall dub itself, I actually find this to be my uh, least favorite of all of them. Um, I would say it is my second favorite of the shows because I still have a lot of problems with Apocrypha. But I think Apocrypha is a stronger dub and I, I would say Zero is my favorite dub. I, I, I think Zero does a lot for me that um, I think that is helped by the material. Uh, that being said, this is in no way a bad dub. I think all of the Fate dubs are really good and are absolute uh, are absolutely fine for people who aren't Fate purists. Like, who aren't, like, meh, subs only. I only accept the Japanese voice. Um, I mm. think that it's, it's a really good job by Tony Oliver. I can't... I really, really hope that not only does he get to dub the cooking show... That we're also going to get dubs for uh, not only Babylonia, which is coming out this year, but Case Files of Elmanai, baby! Oh, I, yeah. I kind of came when I saw, when I heard Lucian Dodge's voice waver come out of my television. <laughs> Depending on how things play out, the Fate dub talk saga may not be over. And I'm hosting the Elmanai episode! Don't count your chickens before oh, they hatch. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would be incredibly surprised if that doesn't get dubbed. Fair anyway, enough. Anyway, no. Okay, uh, so. Really good job overall. Uh, can't wait to hear more. Hope you get to go to the cooking show. Uh, I look forward and bo I both dread and look forward to watching uh, Heavensfield. Okay, so uh, as a continuation from Zero, Unlimited Blade Works is a pretty satisfying show overall, though you can very much tell it, it has a very different penmanship from the prior author, but you could tell that the adaption team from it did a very good job with the material, and I think Ufotable did a very strong job with making them, like, coincide. Like, people say OBW's before Zero. There's emotional beats that do not work in my mind without Zero. Ilias Veal's death does not work without Zero. The satisfaction of T Kotomine and Gilgamesh getting fucked at the end does not feel as powerful without Zero. Like, I think seeing 
the way some of these characters have grown and the adversities they face helps when they coincide with each other. OBW is an interesting beast where you can tell it's kind of a bit dated in some of its writing, but it still really holds up. A lot of its character arcs are kind of endearing, and some characters I thought were going to be just more like Mimi or like, oh, you're an idiot, or this is very redundant. No, I actually really enjoyed and find myself very compelled with a lot of these characters and really caring for their relationships and their goals. And I was pretty satisfied with ubw overall as for where it ranks in my favorite dubs i'd probably say apocrypha is still my favorite dub though i think i would slightly put this over uh zero just a little bit over like one or two specific performances though all of them are pretty commendable and exceptional english dubs in my mind okay um so this you can definitely tell the the tonal differences between zero and ubw um, honestly, like, I, if you're recommending Fate to somebody who's new to the franchise, get them to watch Zero first. UBW was specifically written under the assumption that you watched Zero. Okay, okay, okay. The right. anime was adapted. Right, oh, the, yeah. the, the UFA Table adaptation was written very specifically under the assumption that you had watched Zero beforehand. So that is... Mm -hmm. If you're just doing anime, that is where you start. Um, as for the dub, I... In terms of fake dubs, I would probably put Zero on top, and both Apocrypha and UBW would be second place. Like, it is, it is a very strong dub with great character banter and back and forth and... It's it's just a lot more fun than Zero, even though it's, on a technical standpoint, not as not as polished to me. But performances are great. It's it's fun. It's poppy. It's do check it out. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, Fate is a franchise with a lot of ups and downs for me, and a limited Blade Works is probably one of the strongest examples of that. I really like the first half of the series and how it builds up the relationship between Shiro and Rin, as well as all the cool fights we get. Uh, but I'm less enthused about the second half with the conflict between Shiro and Archer and how much of that it dominates. Uh, while I still find the show to be pretty enjoyable overall, it doesn't quite carry the same re level of rewatchability to me as Fate Zero did. I mean, but, I mean, that's suppose things can always be worse. It can always be Fade Extra, which quite literally put me to sleep. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, anyway, while my Fade... You mean when it wasn't giving you an aneurysm with all the colors? Uh... uh anyway, my... We'll get back to you on if we do that or not. We're yeah. sort of still 50-50. Yeah, anyway, while my feelings on the, on the show are a little mixed, I really enjoyed the dub and what the ensemble here brought to the table. Uh, while some of the performances here are a little better than others, and I don't think it's quite as consistent overall as the other two fake dots we covered, I had a good time with it. And it definitely helped to make any weaker parts of the show a little easier to me. Um, so, all in all, uh, definitely a very solid dub. And if you want to watch that dub, you can currently do so on Netflix. And, wait, I actually don't remember his on credit roll. Zero uh, is. UBW, Zero, uh, Zero's Zero, dub is on Zero Crunchyroll. Is, UBW's is currently on Netflix. Though it was removed at some point due to licensing things, it was put back on. 
Definitely, so, yes. So if you want to watch EW, you can currently do so on Netflix or through home video, but uh, just be warned. Good luck, friend. Yeah, be warned. That's going to cost you a pretty penny. Anyway, uh, is there anything you guys want to plug real quick? Follow me at Twitter on Quinera2. Peace. Uh, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can follow me over on Twitter at Mangaman9000. I'm also a moderator for the Funimation forums and Discord, and I'm a podcaster on another podcaster for Surreal Resolutions Anime Podcast ONA. Roots? Alright, um, you can find me on Twitter at Roots of Justice. Um, I... Mainly just uh, retweet cute animal pics and talk about general fandom stuff. Uh, solo spinoff <laughs> projects coming soon. Cool. Uh, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Divine Naga or Jet in Neverland, where I will usually be talking about anime, cartoons, or what have you. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, Amex and Infinity, where I will occasionally write things. Uh, you can also uh, you can also sometimes find me on another podcast, Podcast OA, that I'm also on with Andrew, where we usually just talk about anime news. And with that, we are basically done for the evening because it is very, very late and we are all very sleepy. <laughs> we knew this one was going to be a big one, but I'm pretty happy overall with how we did it. Anyways, now that we're done with any attempts to be scholarly, let's just talk about how fucking hot everybody is before we oh eventually cut off. Uh, oh Rid's fucking oh hot! Shit. I just want to watch Archer and Koo go at her. Oh! God, it would be so hot. It is just an equal Fuck, that would be really hot. Shonen buffet. Oh my god, holy shit. And Taiga ain't looking bad either. God, just just the image of like Rid getting double teamed as she's screaming <laughs> German so swears funny. is a very <laughs> sexy image. Just <laughs> mana transfers, man. <laughs> Rin Tosuka, don't talk to your mouthful. <laughs> um, this is all getting cut. All I know is this. Rin Tosuka, I would ring your bell any day of Get the out of here! Girl. Don't you fucking ruin that song for me! Oh, you just want Steph to taste. You just want stuff to get a taste of your gale bog. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Fate makes us really horny, guys. And with that, I bid you all a good night. I'm getting... Otaku on, my friend. I'm getting some knee... I'm getting some thigh-highs rapey, baby. <laughs> <laughs>